top secret satellite with nuclear capabilities. A team of international terrorists. A government held hostage. President and the others been safely evacuated. An undetectable moving headquarters. I'd like to call your attention to the highly trained men with the automatic weapons. They may be called upon to shoot you. There's only one problem. Any other heroes? The cook from under siege is back. I'm not even a good cook, but there are some things I'm good at. And things are really heating up. It's a 45, okay? Yeah. Last time, he rocked the boat. This time, the sky's the limit. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinecult Podcast. I am your Cine host, Cordell, and tonight it is me and Lucas. What's up, buddy? Oh, oh, oh. What's and up, man? It's Christmas time. Ah. Tonight we are back with the sequel to our Under Siege retrospective is that what this is now are we are we are we doing an under siege retrospective well there's only two of it so there's only two of them so really they didn't keep cranking these out with like you know some d-lister well they have uh, there's something interesting here in the trivia but i haven't heard nothing else about it so but tonight we are Coming in with Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. But before we get into that, let's hit up with some news and what have you been watching. So go ahead and take it away. All right, man. We doing uh, what we've been watching first? Yes. All right. Let's see here. Not a whole lot, unfortunately. Life has been busy, but I got a couple... Actually, I have one thing for you. No, I have two. All right. So the marquee event is I ventured out to the movie theaters from under my rock, and I went and saw the menu. You heard of this one, Cordo? Uh, I have heard of it. I do not know what it is about, though. All right. So the menu is basically about all of these, like, um, rich socialites, uh, Basically, like foodie type people, if you know what a foodie is, like those people who are like obsessive over food and flavors and that kind of crap. Oh, souls um, who nitpick everything they eat. Yes, and food critics and like actors and wealthy people go on this, get to this island where they're for a restaurant experience where Ralph Fiennes is like this world renowned chef who's serving them like a eight course meal. Ralph um, is such a great actor. He is, and he is fantastic in this movie. 
So, um, and this isn't really a spoiler, but very quickly, the guests realize that Ralph Fiennes is kind of a little crazy. And uh, the whole point of this meal is to torment and um, eventually kill some of the guests. Um, And so it kind of devolves into a little bit of a thriller as they realize, because he has a whole staff of like waiters who are like basically holding them captive. And uh, they keep serving them courses, but every course, you know, like someone dies or people get mutilated, that kind of thing. Um, But here's the thing. The movie really is just a giant dark comedy. Uh, A lot of it is played for humor. This sounds like like a movie that could only have been dreamt up in the mind of like Gordon Ramsay. (laughs) They, They do make a couple Gordon Ramsay jokes. But yeah, it's just it's a very black comedy, right? About he's like he's like to all these people, like you know, you you've come to my restaurant eleven times. Can you even tell me what was on the menu, right? Like if you can tell me one course you've had, I'll let you go. And of course, the guy is like you know a stuck up old old rich guy, and he's like, ah, uh, did we have cod? And he's like, no, it was fucking haddock. And then chops his finger off, you know, like that kind of uh, <laughs> that kind of joke. Um, but yeah, very well shot. Um, it has Nicholas Holt, who I mostly know from Mad Max. He was Nux in the latest one of that. And uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is uh, kind of the only sane woman there who's trying to figure out how she can escape this uh, restaurant of doom. But yeah, very well made. Uh, doesn't overstay its welcome. The swift 90 minutes. And I, I highly recommend it. It's just a fun time. I'm gonna check this out. You know, you mentioned Ralph Fiennes. Well, Fiennes is an actor that I like to watch in a lot of stuff. Oh, he's amazing. Uh, you know, if, you know, if you like him as an actor, he is fantastic. Well, I mean, I really know two two of the biggest roles that I know of his is obviously any nerd knows that Ralph Fiennes is Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter films, but. uh you ever saw the movie Schindler's List? Is he, he's the Nazi in that, right? Yeah, he's the infamous Eamon Goth of the Krakow concent, uh, concentration camp. And oh, yeah, I mean... He, is he, like, ooh. I don't know if it's the black and white of that movie or what, but, like, when the when every time the camera's on him, it is so unsettling. Well, he is amazing, and I guess he's probably channeling some of that because he is kind of, he's like a chef, but he's also like a cult leader of sorts. Um, and it's really, it's just its just an awesome performance. Interestingly enough, what I know him as is, uh, if, I don't know if you're a fan of Wes Anderson's movies, but he's the uh, the lead guy in the Grand Budapest Hotel, and he's really Wes good in that Anderson? as well. I don't know if I know Wes Anderson. I know, um, I know Paul W.S. Anderson, but not Wes Anderson. Nah, Wes Anderson makes like those quirky, uh, like Moonrise Kingdom, The Life Aquatic. Uh, what's he best known for? The Royal Tenenbaums, probably. Hmm. But he's a uh, he's like an artsy kind of unique filmmaker. I'm a big fan of. But uh, yeah, the menu. Go check it out, man. It's a lot of fun. Or once it once it hits streaming or whatever, it is uh, not a waste of your time at all. I will have to go see that. <clears throat> and then uh, keeping it brief, unfortunately, the other thing I did is I went and revisited the Slumber Party Massacre. 
the other evening. Ooh. Now tell me you've seen this one, Cordell. I have not seen the Slumber Party Massacre. Is oh. this the original, or did you see that like remake that they just did? No, the original. I do want to see the remake, though. But um, That remake is mean, so bad. Oh, really? Yeah, well, just look at like the DVD cover for it. It just does not look good. Oh, well, I, I do not, you know, a movie, like the movie we're talking about tonight, a bad cover does not a bad movie make. But, uh, yeah, Slumber Party Massacre is an interesting one. Um, a lot of people hold it up as, like, an 80s slasher classic. I've had an evolving view of it. Uh, back when I was younger and bit mostly in it, you know, for the blood and the boobs, I was like, yes, this movie rocks, you know. There's a driller killer going around slaughtering all these people. Oh, don't worry. But, uh, we'll get to some boobs tonight. We will. What, what cut of the movie are you watching? Uh, well, the movie that I saw on YouTube. Oh, okay. Anyway, but uh, that, then over the years, I kind of like wasn't such a fan of it. I kind of thought so. It's kind of this weird horror comedy blend, but everyone is a terrible actor in Slumber Party Massacre. And uh, like the last time I saw it, probably a couple of years ago, I was like, ah, this movie's kind of garbage. But you know, it's like a C or D level lady slasher. But coming back to it, I uh, regained a little bit of a love for it. I mean, I think it's a pretty well paced. Um, you know, swift to the mark kind of slasher film. There's uh, interestingly enough, there's the eternal debate of are there feminist themes in it as it was made uh, made by a female director for Roger Corman. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that in the movie, but I also think um, it's pretty much a cut and dry by the numbers sort of slasher film. But yeah, I mean, I highly recommend it. It's had a million releases on DVD. I'm sure it's streaming on YouTube or somewhere you can find it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's never a bad time to revisit the Slumber Party Massacre. And then part two and three in that series are pretty good as well. Hmm. I've been, you know, I was on when I was looking on Tubi, I noticed a lot of uh, slasher movies on there that I've been meaning to see. Spoiler alert, people, we almost didn't do Under Siege 2 tonight. Yeah, Cordell and I were like, do we really want to pony up three bucks a piece for uh, Under Siege 2? But we did for the listeners, so I hope our sacrifice was worth it. But you know what? If we hadn't done Under Siege 2, we would have had a viable option tonight. Guess what they do have on Tubi? What do they have? Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Oh, nice. That, That would be a good one to do. I've done. I did the first one, so I, it would only make sense if we cover two at some point. So you'd recover the first one. Well, no, I've already covered. Well, okay, yeah, I have. <laughs> I have heard a rumor that they recycle a lot from the first movie. Wait, have you not seen part two? No, I was because originally. Oh. <laughs> because originally, I was gonna wait and get the Blu-ray, but the Blu-ray is like twenty bucks at Fye. All right, Cordell, um, here's what you need to do. You need to watch the first one, and then you need to immediately watch the second one. Trust me. But to my credit, I do know what the reference garbage day means. Well, everyone knows that. But, uh, yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 is a fun time. 
But uh, yeah, man, that's all I've been watching. Unfortunately, I have a giant watch list I need to get on as we approach the last 21 days of 2022. Um, so hopefully I will be able to get through quite a few movies for the next time we record. I'm hoping so, too, because I've got a pretty short list myself. All right. Hit me. Well, first of all, I do want to say before I get into my films, I do want to announce to our listeners that if you are interested in watching the Maniac Cop movies, which I have continued to suck dick for on this show, <laughs> they have, you know how in the past it was only Maniac Cop 2 and 3 on Tubi? They now have uh, yes. all they now have all three Maniac Cop movies on Tubi so you can watch them back to back to back. Ooh, look at that. They also have Slum uh what's that one slash movie from the eighties? Not Slumber Party Massacre. Uh Slaughter High. Uh Slaughter High is a fun one. Yeah, that does look pretty good. I've heard some good things about that one. Um as for what I've been watching, I turned on my HBO Max and I revisited the Lord of the Rings series. Ooh. Well? Y- you know, I, I really think The Two Towers and Return of the King are my favorite of the Lord of the Rings uh, saga. There's a lot of scenes that I enjoy, a lot of dialogue that I enjoy in Fellowship of the Ring, but there's so much less action in it than the than the other two movies. But I can never get over how much I love the Battle of Helm's Deep and the Two Towers. Uh, the, the Two Towers is my favorite, dude. I love that movie. I, I mean, I love all of them. I, th- I think the trilogy by itself is pretty perfect. But uh, I, I know Fellowship, Fellowship is the slowest, but so much of it, like, if you kind of look at it as one giant, like, 12-hour movie, which is sort of how I think of it, kind of, but, like, you need all that setup. You know what I mean? I'm surprised they haven't actually released a 12-hour cut of that franchise. Well, I mean, you know, you just play them back to back to back. Yeah, but then you have to, like, get all those minutes in a cut between between going to the main menu and then clicking on this <laughs> and clicking this. I just want to but, continue. Uh, I just want a continuous flow. So. Oh, I, my God. So. No, I, sorry. Oh, so I revisited um, the Lord of the Rings and then. Hold up, Cordell. We're not done talking about Lord of the Rings, sir. Oh, God. What fucking... No skipping in. I am a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. Um, so what, what was your, like, what was your favorite, um, like, I guess, what, what were your favorite parts of it? Like, re- when was the last time you saw them, I guess? Were you coming in kind of, like, not remembering much, or...? Oh, no, I remembered quite a bit from these movies. I mean, my mom owned all these movies on VHS tape. And so these were movies that I would watch a lot as a kid, you know, just to kind of pass time or if I was bored. Um, Really, it kind of has to come, like, okay, my f- favorite scene... In Fellowship of the Ring is when Gandalf is facing against the Balrog. 
Oh, yeah, all the mind stuff is amazing. And he just, he does that, you shall not pass. Like, classic. You know what? I think revisiting this series, though, I've really gained a lot of respect for the character of Gimli. Really? Yes. I don't know why, but I, I love his camaraderie with Aragorn and uh, Legolas. And I love, like, that moment, like, when they get to the Mines of Moira in Fellowship of the, of the Ring. And, you know, he's all, he's crying, he's upset because all the dwarves in there have been slaughtered. And then he's with, like, let them come. Yeah, and then the orcs come and he goes, he gets on top of the tomb and goes, let them come. There was still one dwarf in Moira that still draws breath. I know. I love Gimli. Although, unfortunately, I think Gimli and Legolas really, like, they they don't really do anything. <laughs> no, they're just kind of there for the comedic banter. But I do love in the next movie at the Battle of Helm's Deep, when they're trying to stop the orcs from breaking through, he tells he tells Aragorn to toss, toss him. And he's, like, he's like, don't tell the elf. <laughs> I like when they're panning over the battlements and you see all the soldiers and you just see the top of his head. <laughs> yeah. And, and Legolas like, is like, shall, shall I describe it to you or do you want me to fetch you a box? <laughs> and uh, I mean, who can for... No, go and then Aragorn calls out, ladders! Good! And then he starts having that who kills more with uh, Legolas. He gets a really, really painful crotch shot. I want to. I know, right? <laughs> but we get the immortal. That still only counts as one. Joke <laughs> out of it. Yeah, I love. Did you watch the extended cuts or uh, theatrical? Um. Well, they were on uh, HBO Max, so I think they were just the theatrical cuts. Oh, I think they have, or at one point they did have the extended cut. I do. I know, love. Lord I do know in the extended cut for Return of the King, they show the death of Solomon. Yes, and that's something that definitely should have because I think Fellowship. I love Christopher Lee, right? Oh, like he's yeah. one of my favorite actors. He was. Um, he was Solomon. He was Solomon. He was Count Dooku. He was the Hammer Dracula. He is the Dracula, sir. He is my Dracula. Um, but and the guy's voice, dude. I couldn't you just listen to him like read the phone book? Oh, dude, I would I would give him my favorite bedtime story and have him start <laughs> reading, and I would like just fall asleep. But like that's what I love about like so for Fellowship, he's really the antagonist, right? Up through two towers, like okay, yeah, there's Sauron off in Mordor. But they do such a good job of building up, like, okay, Gandalf looks up to this guy. Like, I love when, like, it all turns on him, you know, and he, he kind of beats up Gandalf. And, um, you know, they do such a great job of, like, building up his character. And, and uh, his death feels... in the extended cut really plays out well. Well, yeah, because if you don't watch the extended cut, then he just kind of disappears from the picture. And it's like, well, where did he go? Mm-hmm. But Return of the King is the one where um, they chopped out the most stuff because, I mean, the extended cut, I think, is like four hours long. Um, I would rather but, watch four hours of Return of the King than four hours of Zack Snyder's Justice League. 
Oh, those are fighting words, Cordell. Well. Is but, this leading into your next what you've watched? No. I oh. I revisited that movie once and I've not gone back. You don't um, like Zack Snyder's Justice League? Whether it's whether it's the Zack Snyder cut or the theatrical cut, I was so disappointed with how you know everything played out. And well, I mean, it's probably no secret to anyone now that DC is just in a fumble fuck. I disagree, sir. Mm. All right, so I never saw the theatrical, but I watched Zack Snyder's cut, and I was very impressed. I mean, I did like, I did like how they completely changed the story with Darkseid and uh, Steppenwolf. I like actually, I like that a lot more than the theatrical. Cool. But beyond that, they, it just really didn't add nothing to what I had already seen. Yeah, it actually, well, it makes me really sad we're never going to get, because at least the little teases of Darkseid, and I'm, I'm no, like, I'm no comic book nerd, so I'm not even that familiar, but, like, the director's cut makes him look like a badass. Hmm. But I don't know, I really like Zack Snyder's Justice. I like, oh, okay, I don't like Batman v Superman, but Man of Steel, Cordell, Man of Steel is a film I am championing. Way too many people are way too harsh on Man of Steel. It is a great movie. Oh, no, Man of Steel. I'm not going to talk bad about Man of Steel. I actually think Man of Steel is a pretty good, fun movie. And Zack Snyder gets way too much hate. I'm coming out, Cordell, out of the closet. I am a Zack Snyder lover. And I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice was so bad either. Like, I think the movie's fun. Does it have stupid parts? Yes. I really, really, really think the whole your na- your mom's name is Martha. My mom's Martha too. Well, my issue with that movie is I just I hate Jesse Eisenberg in it. I think he ruins it. That is my biggest contention point with that movie. I, I think do, he is terrible. I do not like Jesse Eisenberg as Luther. He does not work. He is an idiot. He is a megalomaniac, and he does mm-hmm. not have the patience or the calculating, you know, demeanor that Lex Luthor has. And this is the issue. I chalk it all up to this, Cordell, is they rushed it, right? Because I remember after Man of Steel came out, they were like, all right, we're going to do Man of Steel 2. We're going to do a solo Batman movie, and then we're going to do Batman v Superman. Now, what but instead, the, they what just the crammed it all in. But. What did you think of Wonder Woman? Uh, the first movie I saw once in theaters, and I remember really liking it. I really um, liked the first Wonder Woman. I have not seen 84. Now, I I don't think the movie, like, okay, so I'm a sucker for, like, the World War II aesthetic. So, like, all the scenes of, like, her, like, going through the trenches and kicking ass, I'm like, that's, like, hitting my sweet spot. But um, our World War One aesthetic, I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, the movie's pretty standard, like comic book movie. I, I wouldn't say it like did anything unique, but I do like uh, what's her name? Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Um, but yeah, the sequel I haven't seen yet. But anyway, to continue my conversation and keep us on this tangent, I think DC 
the past couple of years, all the stuff DC's done that's been like R-rated or a little harder edge has always has landed for me. Starting with uh, Joker, I really loved. Um, even if it is kind of like a taxi driver knockoff, like that movie I really enjoyed. Uh, Birds of Prey, I think is kind of underrated. Like it's not great, but uh, it has like, you know, Ewan McGregor really camps it up. And I, I like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Um, keep going with that. Uh, the new Suicide Squad, the R-rated one. Did you see that, Cordell? No, I saw the first one, the 2016 movie. Dude, you have got to check out the Suicide Squad from 2021. It's R-rated. It's very gory. And James Gunn is like, it's just, it's hilarious. Oh, I plan on it. But, you know, I'm going to probably say some controversial shit right here. But uh, I really did not hate the 2016 Suicide Squad. Um, I know that movie gets a lot of shit. But I think in its own fun, campy way, it's a really fun movie to watch. You know, so that I, movie like, okay. with, you know, Margot Robbie and Will Smith and, you know, Flag and the Enchantress, like all that, I think, is a really makes a really fun movie. So that yeah. movie, I kind of view as like a giant music video. And that's what makes it so fun. Because I remember I remember going to see that opening weekend, Cordell. I was so jazzed with a couple buddies of mine. And literally like a half hour into the movie, I think my one my one buddy leans over to me and he's like, has this movie gone like two minutes without just breaking into a song and montage? And I'm like, no, it hasn't. <laughs> and uh, you know what? That's OK, because, yeah, it does look good. Like there's a lot of cool visuals. And you got the it. story okay. is like the, stupid, the, but like the joke is hilarious. What is wrong with you people? We're bad guys. It's what we do. Oh, that's cringy, dude. I, I can't go with you there. Oh, no, I love that line. I love that scene. Because but I, I even uh, I even have some affection for Jared Letter's Joker. I don't think he's all that bad. I don't have the amount of hate against him that most people do. I don't really understand the whole rap gangster look they gave him, but... It's a you can see they were like, well, we got to do something different, you know. Well, yeah, you know, um, Nicholson was the gangster Joker. Heath Ledger was the anarchist Joker. I do not even know how you classify Joaquin Phoenix Joker, but. He's like the Travis Bickle Joker. Okay. (laughs) So back to what I've been watching. Anyway, all right, yeah, get off the DC. That was a huge tangent. Um, it's what we do. I recently came into possession of a three-disc, five-part miniseries from the 1970s that aired on CBS. It's called Holocaust. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, no, I can't say I have. I assume it's about uh, puppies and butterflies. You would be correct if the butterflies were Nazis and the puppies were Jews. Oh, man. Perfect Christmas viewing. I'll have to, I'll have to pop it in at the next holiday party. <laughs> so 
This was a miniseries that aired on CBS back in the 70s. It stars David Warner and a very young Meryl Streep is in it. Oh, wow. It, it portrays or it shows pivotal moments from like from 1936 to the end of World War II from like Kristallnacht to the gas chambers at Auschwitz. And we see the story from two different families. We see it from the Jewish Weiss family, a well-to-do family from Berlin. And then we see it from the perspective of the Dorf family, whose whose, uh, patriarch ends up becoming a high-ranking officer in the SS. And we kind of follow, like, you know, at the beginning of the show, uh, Dwarf, he, you know, he doesn't really care for politics. And by the end of the show, he's making up, you know, every excuse in the book of why it was necessary to carry out the Holocaust. Um, oh, geez. It's, it's, a, it's actually a really good show. Um. And they don't shy away from showing anything. Like they show, really? the, like they show the massacre at Bobby at Bobby Yar. Um, for those who don't know, the the Bobby Yar massacre was a an event where in eastern Ukraine, the Nazis rounded up and over a three day period killed almost a hundred thousand Jewish civilians. In a ravine. Oh, jeez. And they do not shy away from it. And the TV show has been credited, you know, up until before the show came out on TV, the German public really didn't talk about the war. They didn't really talk about the Holocaust. But the show has been credited after it was uh, shown in West Germany. It really opened up the public to talking about the past and. You know, how do we make sure that this never happens again and stuff like that? It's I, I give it a recommend. I think it's a pretty good series. It's really the only other TV series that I know that's ever really portrayed the Holocaust. The other being a military drama called Ward Remembrance. Okay. Um. So, yeah, that was Holocaust. And honestly, that's all I have been watching. Um, I do plan on going to the movie theater soon and seeing that movie, Violent Night. I know. I want to see that one a lot, too. My mom keeps tagging me in the trailers for that. Have you seen the trailers for that new horror Christmas horror movie, The Mean One? Yes, the uh, the Grinch parody. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I just don't know how I'm going to watch Jim Carrey's Grinch after watching that. I don't know. I hear pretty um, I hear pretty bad things about it. The the mean one. I think it's a uh, it's pretty low budget, but it does look like a fun time. Oh, I mean, you got that. You've got Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about the Winnie the Pooh one. <laughs> Uh, give me a quick second. I'm going to go grab something to drink. All right, folks. I'm assuming he's not cutting this.
I have no idea. But, oh, man. Cordell always with the happy, happy movies. Listeners, write in. Let us know. What have you been watching? We're always interested. I think we have a Facebook group. We do. Okay, so now that we got what you've been watching all the way, I think you got some news for us. Yeah, I looked. Um, just a couple, couple pieces here and there. Um, I just saw, and this is just this was not so much news, but a little bit of a rant. Have you heard of this new movie, Megan? That's coming out, Cordell. Megan. Yeah, the killer doll. Uh, I've seen like stills of the film. I haven't seen a trailer. Well, I watched the the new second trailer in theaters that basically gave away the whole movie. And oh my god, this movie looks god awful, Cordell. Like a bad Chucky ripoff, except it's PG thirteen. So, so I don't know. I'm just uh, I just had to get that out there. I'm like that movie looks like fucking shit. Well, even by looking at the photo, the doll just looks, you know, it's obvious that it it look the doll looks so CGI. It's not funny. It looks like a. <laughs> it looks like a bad knockoff of the 2019 Chucky remake. Oof, and that's <laughs> not even a high bar. Mhm. Mm. So. Um. Some other news. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're kind of like a little like. Yeah. We're just kind of like in those pre and post holiday blues right now. Ah, oh no, I'm trying to look up some news. Ah, uh, the Mutilator Two is coming out. You ever see the original Cordell? I no. Do you know of the Mutilator? I'm aware of it. Sure. So that's kind of a fun. Um, it's a fun <laughs> '80s slasher film. Sorry, you're everybody. Like, you're like, okay, sure. You know, he at least you know of it. <laughs> so it's a it's a fun '80s slasher film. I think it came out in like '89 or whatever. Very uh, very low budget, but a bunch of teens go to a uh, a uh, condo on the beach, pretty much, and I think like North Carolina or somewhere like that, and basically get picked off one by one by uh, the teenagers. Uh, one of the teens angry father who's mad at his son because he accidentally killed his mom all those years ago. But um this is a movie that basically the director wait, wait, who wait, 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 wait. So the kid kills his mom, like in the past. And then instead of dad just waiting and killing his son like right after the fact, he's like stews in it for a couple years and says I'm going to kill my son and I'm going to kill all of his friends. So here's how it goes, Cordell. You're going to love this. The movie opens with little uh, whatever his name is. We'll call him Billy. It's his dad's birthday, right? So he's like, all right, I'm going to clean some of dad's shotguns for his birthday. Oh, no. So he takes down. So he opens his dad's gun cabinet. He's cleaning off some of his dad's rifles. And he picks up like an M1 Garand or something, points it through the door and blows his mom away. (laughs) And so the dad comes home 
and just kind of like, you know, he looks in shock and that's the opening. And with no explanation, we cut to his kids in college and the dad calls him is like, come out here and clean up my condo. And so he takes all of his college friends and we get no explanation for any of this. But the dad basically wakes up from a drunken binge in the basement of this condo just as the kids arrive and is like, hmm, I guess I'll just kill all of them. Oh, my God. It's amazing. First of you, all, uh, you got to see it. First of all, if you and I were close friends and then you hit me up and say, hey, I'm going to go clean out my dad's condo. You want to go? I'm going to politely decline and be like, oh, I got to go get laid. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's uh, we, we got to do that movie sometime because there's so many just little quirky, like uh, quirky aspects to it. But the gore is fantastic. Um, but yeah, so that was like a really it's kind of a regional horror movie. Like for many years, you couldn't even like find a copy, not on VHS. Um, and there was an uncut version that was even rarer. But finally, uh, Arrow Video came out with a fully deluxe, like, two-disc, tons of special features edition, I think, in 2015 or so. Gotta love uh, it. Gotta love all these companies that are just managed to push push through the red tape and come out with the DVDs and Blu-rays for us. I know, right, man? There's so much shit that, like, I never thought we'd ever see on HD getting, like, all these awesome Blu-rays. I'm still waiting for Thanksgiving to get a Blu-ray release. I mean, that movie's low budget. I bet you could message the guy on, like, Facebook or something. <laughs> Honestly, you probably could. But, um, yeah, so after many, many years, apparently they have released with the original director, Mutilator 2. Okay, not released, but um, it's coming out. And let me look up the details of that real quick. But it actually is starring Terry Kaiser, who, is he from the Karate Kid? No, he's, he's the guy from Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> so, you know, we're uh, we're doing good. <laughs> oh, he's Dr. Cruz in Friday the 13th Part 7. Yes. Because I was like, I know this guy. Who am I thinking of? I got him confused with Terry yeah, Silver. He, from is, he is the psychic's asshole doctor. But yeah, so I don't know. I'm pretty jazzed, Cordell. We got the original People back, new slasher film. 2022 really is has been the year of the franchise. So many things have gotten new installments. Yep, and was and it's going to continue into 2023 as we get a Scream Six. Yeah, did you hear we should get the trailer in the next week? Apparently, I'm hoping, and I'm really happy to see General Ortega and uh. The other actors coming back. Are we going to cover that, Cordell, for our listeners? Most likely. We do need to catch up and do the screen movies, too. All right. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should do a retrospective in 2023. Maybe I do want to because I got some things to say about the screen franchise. Um, speaking of General Ortega, I do need to put on my bucket list to watch that new Wednesday TV show. Yeah, I, uh, I hear good things about that. I've had several people say it's really good. A lot of people have been saying that General Ortega is really good as Wednesday. And I haven't heard a lot of glowing reviews for Catherine Z- Zeta-Jones, though. Oh, no? 
Well, is it is the rest of the family even in the series a lot, or is it pretty much like a side story? Um, I mean they they're heavily featured in all the promotional stuff. Oh, are they? I I did not even know that. Um, but yeah, I do want to watch that because I am a big Adams Family fan. Yeah, that's one on the uh, on the to watch list for myself as well. But yeah, yeah besides uh, besides those two things, that was all the news I had. Do you got anything? Yeah, I got some news. News number one: somebody's been stealing out of my fucking mailbox. Oh yeah, the porch pirates. Yeah, what I did. Yeah, I can't even talk. Um, I ordered a NECA figure of the Roy Burns Part 5 Jason. And the figure came in the mail, and the seller had to ship the mask separately because the mask had fallen out of the packaging. Seems reasonable enough. Came home. My mailbox was wide open. I had gotten a letter saying, your package has been delivered. Got home, my mailbox was wide fucking open. Ah, jeez. At first, I that thought. Bullshit. At first, maybe I thought the wind blew it away, but then I looked in my mailbox and there was still envelopes in there from other from of other mail that I had. So I'm like, well. So yeah, that was that. Um, we did just pass the 81st anniversary of Pearl Harbor. So at some point, I do want to actually record and talk about, um. A famous Pearl Harbor movie on this podcast. You into history? Yeah, man. Yep. So at some point we need to come on here and we need to watch Tora, Tora, Tora. Have you ever seen this movie? No, I've I've heard a lot of good things. I know you're big on it. Oh yeah. It's when people ask if people ever ask me, hey, what movie should I watch about Pearl Harbor? I'm gonna send them to Tora and I'm gonna say, don't even think. About that Michael Bay movie. Oh, I know the Michael Bay movie is a piece of shit. Maybe we'll cover that one day just so we can rip it to pieces. (laughs) So what are you doing about the uh, about the porch pirates, though? Is there nothing you really can do? Really nothing I really can do right now unless, you know, I quit my job and just sit on my porch all day with a shotgun. But I live in town, so I'm, that might not be looked at, uh, upon, you know, in a fair way. I'm trying to think of any booby traps you could rig up. But I guess that would affect the uh, mailman as well. Yes. That would probably uh. be a lawsuit. <laughs> um, also, have you seen the bullshit that Kanye West has been saying? Oh, no, we're going to. We're almost getting political. I, I have uh, I've seen memes about Kanye. Yeah. OK, well, when not getting into the political aspects of like Republican versus Democrat, let's just say. So do you want the story of what he did? No, I know what he did. That dude, that dude is crazy, man. He, I, he's like diagnosed or something, right? Like um, bipolar, I, I think, or something. This motherfucker got on the Alex Jones show InfoWars and said, I love Hitler. (laughs) And I'm just... Dude, 
Alex Jones is an asshole. Mm-hmm. So wh- he just got fined like millions of dollars for being an asshole. Yeah. You know you fucking up real bad when Alex Jones looks uncomfortable. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I did see the uh, I did see the clips. Yeah. <laughs> Kanye's just going off about how much he loves Nazis and Alex Jones is just like he's looking at the camera, he's got this look on his face like oh fuck. <laughs> so yeah, that's like week old news, but it's like news I want to talk about because I'm still trying to, you know, and it makes me sad, dude, because I used to like a lot of his early music. And yeah, now, he's he's kind of, uh, he's gone off the deep end, though. <laughs> he's completely freaking nuts. I remember when he was like, he, I think he like ran in 2020, right, or something like that. Like, he just, that dude is completely crazy. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just... All I know is he needs to seek some serious help because if he doesn't, ooh boy, I do not see it ending well for him. <laughs> oh, it's a uh, fucked up world we live in, Cordell. All right, but we got all that out of the way. Should we get into some under siege? Yeah, let's do it, baby. We're back. And so is Steven Seagal. All right, so Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, released... Terrible title, by the way. Terrible. Released in July of 1995, of a budget of $60 million, a box office of $104 million. Not too bad, but not a hit, I would say. Would... Uh, I mean, I have to imagine it at least broke even or made a little money, right? Well, yeah, the budget was sixty million, and the box office was a hundred and four million. So it made its money back and then some, but it wasn't as big of a hit as the first movie was. Um, the movie stars, of course, Steven Seagal, uh, Eric Bogosia. I don't know if you looked at the cast names before you started. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. Bo- Everett Bogosian? Bogosian? Everett McGill. Kath, a, this movie shows a young Catherine Heigl? Heigl? I, I have no idea, dude. Hi, hi gal, according to Wikipedia. Heigl? It's something. Morris Chestnut. Nick Mancuso. Returning from the first movie is Tom Breaker of the CIA, uh, Brenda Back, Peter Green, Dale Dye as Captain Nick Garza returns, as does Andy Romano as Admiral Bates. Uh, hey, who, the, who the hell was Peter Green in the first movie? Peter Green. Peter Green, he wasn't in the first movie. Oh, I thought you said he was returning. Sorry. Uh, no, that was uh Brenda Bach. Uh, Wait, no, not Bre- not Brenda Bach. Um, Dale Die. Dale Die and Andy Romano returned from the first movie. They were the uh admiral and the captain at the Pentagon War Room in the f- first movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
voice Applegate, Jonathan Banks. And then there's also an actress in here named Sandra Taylor. She's not listed on the official on the Wikipedia. I had to find her name on the on the IMDb. She plays the uh really rather sexy barmaid that spends yeah, yeah that spends most of the movie captured with uh Catherine. I thought she and Seagal were gonna have like a romance, but then she just like gets knee a uh, spoiler, she gets kneecapped and nothing happens. <laughs> uh Quick quote, since I'm hung up on Sandra Taylor, she's an actress known for The Princess Diaries, Under Siege 2, and the 2010 romantic comedy Valentine's Day. So, ladies and gentlemen, she has not done shit. And she is married to David O'Connell. Whoever that is. Well, I wouldn't say she hasn't done anything. She was in the Paranormal movie. What oh, the knockoff of uh, the... the uh... <laughs> the comedy knockoff of paranormal activity. Well, let me just go ahead and say wait. Oh my god. I have seen some of the shit this woman has been in. She was in Batman and Robin as a debut. Yeah, as background gonna, character. Yeah, I'm going to assume she was uh, one of the women at the. Uh, Ball, where Poison Ivy made her debut. Runaway Bride, Just Shoot Me, Women of the Night. I'd like to see her in that. I bet you would. The Princess Diaries, The Princess Diaries 2. I know those two movies. Those are like two classic Disney films that my generation... I've never seen those, actually. Oh, God, every girl in school I knew grew up on those movies, and they'd be like, oh, my God, I want to be like the girl from the Princess Diaries. It's like, shut up. <laughs> all right, all right, focus, Cordell, focus. Oh, no, I'm not going to focus, because what is this movie she was in? Lady in Waiting, unrated from 1994. Guys, we're going to have to pause the podcast. Cordell's running out to find a time machine to... uh. Go back to 1994. This looks like softcore Skinamax movie. I'm into this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Put it away, Cordell. Put it away. Oh, God. Oh, God. I never even took it out yet. All right. So, we, yeah, we got uh, a... <laughs> Anyhow. Got, anyway. Um, you mentioned the, uh, the title for this, uh, Dark Territory. My first piece of trivia for this movie is this movie was originally just going to be called Dark Territory before it was converted as a sequel to the original Under Siege. So this movie wasn't even supposed to be an Under Siege sequel. Really? I did not know that. Okay, so... I am about to hand it over to you. Do you want to get us into the juicy details of Dark Territory? All right, folks, buckle in, because we are going back with Steven Seagal for Under Siege 2. All right, so Under Siege 2, I got to say, Cordell, I'm just going to lay out my cards on the table. I saw the cover art for this movie. I knew Under Siege was regarded as, like, 
Steven Seagal's probably best movie. And I think if I recall back to our um, first podcast on it, both of us agreed that it was a pretty respectable um, diehard knockoff, diehard on a ship that we uh, we enjoyed. Piece of trivia number two. This movie, like the first, was considered a diehard knockoff. Nicknamed oh, it Diehard is. On a train. <laughs> um, but I got to say, coming into Understage 2, I was like, oh, God, I don't want to spend my three bucks on this. This is going to be, you know, the like, this is just going to be some direct-to-video style piece of shit. Like, so I went in with the lowest of expectations. You know what? So, Every movie I watch now is going to be a diehard ripoff. Pearl Harbor is now diehard in World War II. <laughs> Osmosis Jones is diehard in a man's body. I, I, I haven't seen that in forever. My goodness. <laughs> I just tapped, anyway. I, I just tapped into a primordial, primordial memory. <laughs> so Under Siege 2 starts out um, with swelling music that I don't know if you went back, Cordell. Is it the same music as the first movie? Um, you know what I'm talking about? That like anthem at the beginning? I didn't really uh, notice. But it, it kind of sounded similar. I don't know. But we get like the swelling orchestral score um, and the credits over footage of a NASA rocket launching, which I thought was kind of interesting. I was like, wait, what is this? Because and if, uh, and if you look closely on the shuttle, you can see a tiny swastika. <laughs> get out of World War Two, Cordell. Come on. Yeah, gotta drag this man back. There wasn't, there wasn't even a world, there wasn't even a World War. Well, it was kind of a World War. Come on, dude, know your history. Operation Paperclip, the Nazis got us to space. They did, but anyway, <laughs> man, my, my co-host is, is obsessed with World War Two. I'm, I'm gonna have to get you some Vietnam stuff. Get him out of this. What do you think, guys? You know what? It's been a, it's been a long week, and I'm just ready to joke and have fun, people. Uh, anyway, slowly turning into the Willis Wheeler of the show. (laughs) So the the second thing I thought as we're going through this credits is Kurtwood Smith, because (laughs) as the credits go, we cut to a NASA, uh, not NASA, Joint Chief of Staff's control room, which basically is the same place all the generals are hanging out in the last uh, last movie. Or it looks the same pretty much. And, uh, yeah, Kurtwood Smith is some general or CIA top brass guy. And uh, they're talking. I didn't catch all the jargon, Cordell, but they're basically monitoring whatever this rocket launch is. It is really some type of, like, plasma. Like, uh, it's a satellite that also acts as a weapon. Yeah, I I was kind of confused by this because so the credits keep rolling and then we cut the space. And my mind is totally like, I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Why are we in space? Um, when we get this kind of, um, it's good for the time, but does not hold up now. Like CGI model, uh, satellite. (laughs) I was watching this and I'm like, oh my God, that looks bad. Dude, when the rocket is like flying and it just looks terrible. Um, but yeah, so basically we, uh, we cut up in space and we see this like satellite kind of pop out of the rocket. 
and uh, down on the ground, they're basically Kurtwood Smith and all these dudes, like CIA techie guys are like, oh, yeah, we did it. Like we, uh, you know, the NASA has no idea we own this now type thing. So I guess the idea is that like they like hijacked or like stuck this on board a NASA launch. And like now the CIA has a, their own satellite up in space. Yeah, because that's not fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, so basically, we find out that the satellite thing they have, which is called, do you remember what is this called? It begins with a G. It is called Grazer. Grazer yes, 1. Yes, Grazer 1. So this Grazer 1 satellite, we find out rather amusingly, has the ability to like zoom in and spy on anybody. And uh, one of these junior techies, who actually is super annoying, you know the guy I'm talking about, Cordell? <laughs> yeah. He keeps popping up in the movie, and I just wanted to punch him every time he is on screen. <laughs> he, uh, they use it to like zoom in on this chick uh, sunbathing on a beach, and these are professional fucking government guys, and they're just like, "Oh man, let's look at her tits." <laughs> nice tits, bitch. And uh, you see, uh, what's her name, Griner or Gilder? No, the the woman is like, you know, like size and disgust as these guys are like using their high tech probably millions and millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars um funded satellite to just spy on this chick hey man a long day at work you gotta do something (sighs) but um say nothing no sorry what man i didn't say nothing i just said hey you gotta do something when you're on the job Fair enough, fair enough. So all the uh, Kurtwood Smith and all of his crew, and there's another bearded guy who's kind of slimy. I don't know what his name is. You, you know what I'm talking about, Cordell? You didn't recognize him? Nah, who is that? That's Tom Breaker, the CIA guy from the first movie. All right, to be totally honest, I didn't pay attention to like any of the command room people in the first movie. So I'm sure all these people are from it, but I did not recognize him. Yeah, he was the slimy uh, CIA director in the first movie who, when uh, Tommy Lee Jones calls him, and he goes, hi, Tom. Oh, he's that guy. Yeah, he he looks unrecognizable because of the beard and facial hair that he's got. Yeah, I mean, totally, totally didn't recognize that. But uh, so basically they're walking out of this command room, you know, like. And uh, being like, oh, yeah, we did it. This is awesome. And we find out that that Grazer 1 satellite also can, like, launch. Um, it's like a weapon. It's not just like a spy thing. And uh, what's her? Uh, Linda Gilder, uh, Brenda Box character, she she talks to one of the higher ups. And she's like, man, I just wish uh, Dane could have been here. And so we find out that this satellite actually uh, is like the work of this, this ex-CIA guy, Travis Dane. And we uh, we get a couple lines about how he was like brilliant, but crazy. And um, the one guy, I think Kurtwood Smith talks about how he basically he committed suicide by driving his car into a lake. But all they found was the car. Is that set up, Cordell? I think it might be. Bitch, it might be. (laughs) Um, So anyway, out in this hallway, uh, Breaker. And this is actually, now that I'm thinking about it, is extra fucked up, because he starts hitting on Gilder. He's like, you know, there's an air show. I'd love to get a drink there with you. It might be good for your career. 
Yeah, and this and this motherfucker is like married. He, he calls his wife. Later. Yeah, later on he calls his wife. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Ooh man, just these movies are not not kind to of the CIA. No, I was wondering about. We'll get into it. We'll get into it, Cordell. Um, but you know, she basically blows him off. She's like, nah, I got my own plans, and he's like, all right, well, good job or whatever. Yeah, she's getting laid, but not by Tom Breaker. <laughs> so uh, then we go, I think it's to Denver, I'm pretty sure. The city in Colorado. And uh, we follow the chef who's, like, picking a guy up. And out of the cab comes Steven Seagal. Ryback is back. And I got to say, Cordell, because, you know, like, it's so easy nowadays to make fun of Steven Seagal, right? Um, but he's looking pretty good in this movie. Yeah, according to Trivia, he was wearing a girdle or something during filming. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. I take it back, then. I, I, all I can think of is that scene from fucking Le- uh, Lethal Weapon 2 or 3, wherever, whichever one it was. It's like, he's wearing a girdle. Look at him, he's a, Murtaugh's wearing a girdle. That's all I could think of with that scene. Um, but so we find out he's basically, and I, I also forgot about this, but he's running a restaurant in Colorado. And so we get all this talk, um, with him and his cook staff about like, you know, I don't know if I can run it without you. Cause you know, this movie has to stroke Steven Seagal's ego. Yeah. They come here for you. They don't come here for me. <laughs> Cause you know, this guy's not only a, you know, steel team X, like, you know, he can take on the whole world. He's also the world's greatest chef. Um, but basically through dialogue, we find out that, oh my God, his, and you, you gotta help me with this Cordell, cause I was confused by this. Under Siege 3, Kitchen Warfare. <laughs> I want to see Steven Seagal fight Gordon Ramsay. Exactly. I was going to say Casey Ryback versus Gordon Ramsay. Who's the better <laughs> chef? But um, so I was confused by this, Cordell. Is it just his brother who passed away or did his brother and his parents all die? I want to say it was his brother and his brother's wife. Because he makes OK, a, no, we do, we do get a line because he makes a he makes a comment when he's asking because he's asking uh, Ryback to cook his. He says, why don't you just fly down there? He's like, would you get on a plane after your parents just died in a horrific plane accident? Oh, it's the the niece's parents. His brother and his wife died. Yes. Okay, I was confused. I thought Ryback was talking about his parents. So I was like, did it, did his whole family get killed? Um, no, it was his brother and his brother's wife. But uh, okay, yeah. So we find out his brother died. And so Ryback's taking his brother's uh, daughter, his niece, on this train to California. Um, so basically, the cook dri- drives into the uh, railroads, uh, you know, the train station. And um, we meet Catherine Heigl as his niece. Oh, my God. I think I'm thinking Cordell liked uh, liked her in this movie. I want to go ahead and just say that I first saw this movie when I was 13 years old. Now, and I do not feel any shame for that because Catherine Heigl was older than I am. 
She <laughs> is really cute. I'm not going to say she's hot or she's sexy, but she's a pretty cute and attractive woman. At least yeah, that's what she was in this movie. I would, how old do you think she's supposed to be? Like 16? Something like that? Yeah, I think in the movie she's supposed to be like 16, 17 years old. Um... But yeah, and this is uh, this is where Steven Seagal has to fight his worst enemy of all time, though, Cordell, which is good acting. <laughs> because he has to play all of these stupid, like, uh, he meets his uh, niece at the train station, and they have to go through all of the, like, he's like, I thought you collected teddy bears, you know, and obviously, like, she's way too old for that. Um, and man, I dude, every time Steven Seagal has to, like, talk Cordell... Isn't he just, like, the worst actor ever? <laughs> like, it, it is really painful to have to see him, you know, have to, like, try to reconnect with um, Sarah. Like, he, well, let's go ahead and say it. At the onset here, Sarah is really showing a lot of, like, contempt for Ryback. Yeah, she doesn't. She is not happy to have him there. Yeah, um, because we find out that Casey and his brother had a falling out, and they never got back together. They never talked about it. They never settled anything. And Casey yeah. was all Casey was always away. And I think you know, it, it's what it's a cliche in movies. You know, you have a kid who grows up and they have a lot of angst against a family figure who you know just used to be around and then disappeared it's a cliche it is um and now don't get me wrong though he does do the one-liners pretty good and i did like after she like blows him off he does like uh what's he say yes i'm not trained for this yes yeah, that was pretty good. But yeah, anytime Steven Seagal has to do the whole like, your dad and I had a falling out, and I guess you know when you're a choir boy like him, he wouldn't understand. It's just like, oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, but so they they get on board this train. His case, he's, you know, his brother died, and he's clearly you know sad about it but he's not hesitating to get a jab in there and that's not helping his case with sarah no it's not so we we watch these guys board this train um they board it and then we also cut away and we find out that uh what's her name gilder is getting on board the train as well and uh as well as a blonde shifty looking dude who we will who is peter green and then we also see this other uh, this other guy boarding who we will find out is Gilder's date. And I did not catch his name, to be quite honest. Um, I'm trying to see here. I'm trying to see. But he's somebody. Yeah, he was one of the. Is he, is he had... Nick Garza? We saw him in the beginning. Um, oh, was he there in the beginning? Captain David Trilling. Oh, is that guy? Yeah. Okay. We saw him in the beginning because we're going to find out that um, Dane needs these two people for their separate codes. Yes. 
So we kind of, we watch all these people get on board the train. And uh, this is when we get introduced to Bobby. Bobby Zacks, who's a porter. I love this character. He's Yeah, he's fun. He's kind of playing the role that Erica... I can't remember her name, but the woman from the first movie. Yeah, he's... He's kind of of playing the role that she was. Yeah, so um, after uh, Sarah's trying to get to her bunk, he's like, you know, following her, doing like the whole fast-talking shtick. He's like, let me carry your bag, you know? Like, if I don't carry your bag, I'm going to get fired. So how about we do this? And he keeps talking about how, like... uh, his later on, but like how he's he can kick some ass, dude. This would get you fired in today's uh, society. I know he's like he won't leave this woman alone. <laughs> but uh, you know he follows her, and he's basically like you know, well, where's your bunk? And Steven Seagal pops up, and he's like, she's with me. <laughs> I like this. He's following her through like three cars of the train. There's people on board, like there's women all around. But yet, he seems to be really focused on Sarah. In fact, he can't leave Sarah alone. Yeah, it was a little weird. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that was that was a little strange. <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> so they uh they get into the car, train car, and this is when we find out Gilder has a uh, hot date because uh Mr. Mr. David Trilling opens the door to her bunk, and you know she's lounging there, just covered with a blanket with some champagne. And I gotta ask though, Cordell, I get that this is like a this is like what like a six seven hour train ride they said. Yes. But like, would you really would you really fuck on the train like? I don't know if I'd do it that early, right before taking. I know, right? They got, they got like six hours. Um, but I, I thought that was funny because you know he goes to like jump on her and she's like, "Good things come to those who wait." And then like five seconds later, she's like, "All right, you waited long enough." Man, we got. She has a line a couple scenes from now that I lost my absolute shit over. When she oh, said. I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so they're getting it on in the bunk. Um, but so the train takes off, starts going down the track, and we cut to a jeep full of armed guys who are rolling up to a Colorado search and rescue station. And this is kind of our first big action scene. Because these uh, this jeep full of mercenaries like basically rolls up. One guy climbs up on the roof, cuts the phone line. Um, these other guys bust in, shoot the guy in the head who's at the desk, shoot another guy. And this is when we get introduced to Everett McGill as Marcus Penn, and I and uh, Eric Bagosian as Travis Dane, who are basically our Tommy Lee Jones and. Uh, who was the other guy? You know, Gary, Ever- Gary Busey's of this movie. Everett McGill. I vaguely have seen him in a lot of other stuff. Do you know this actor? No, I know. I mean, the name sounds familiar. I know he was in a bunch of like uh, he was in Twin Peaks and Dune. Yeah, he was in right. Dune. He was in the James Bond movie License to Kill. Oh really? Um, he was the pat. He was the reverend in the Stephen King movie Silver Bullet. 
with Gary Busey, which is kind of like a weird connection. He was in something called he was in Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood. Um, Twin Peaks, The People Under the Stairs. So he, okay. he has some horror cred. Um, last movie it's showing him on is the last movie that's popping up on his filmography was a 1979 drama film called Yanks. No, interesting. No, I never heard of it. But uh, so these guys basically take over the search and rescue. And what they do is they hijack two helicopters. Um, And like two other guys pop out and they gun them down. And so this is basically our merry band of mercenaries for this uh, installment in the Die Hard ripoff series. You mentioned Gary Busey. Um, Fun fact here. Piece of trivia, folks. On IMDb, it says the casting director drew the ire of Steven Seagal after the action star returned from a vacation and discovered that Gary Busey had been hired to play the villain in this movie. Busey had. What? Yeah, they had rehired Gary Busey to play a villain in this movie, too. Was it going to be his brother? Like, I don't know. Because it's never really stated how long after the first movie this movie takes place. Um, in fact, they don't even mention the first movie in this movie, which is kind of interesting. I think there's a subtle, I think there's like a subtle callback to it, but it's like, oh, there's callbacks. Yeah, there's a subtle like blinking you miss it line. Uh, but he's you're gonna love this. Busey famously played one of the villains in the first film. Matters got worse when it was discovered that Busey had a pay-or-play deal, which meant he got his fee if he was in the film or not. Ultimately, Busey was paid his $750,000 salary, which allegedly came out of Seagal's pocket as a producer, but didn't work a day on the picture. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, Steven Seagal paid for Gary Busey to not be in his movie. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> this is that is diabolical. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk more about the villains as the movie goes on because I have a lot to say. But uh, so we cut back to the train and Steven Seagal, uh, you know, does what we would do and he moseys on up to the bar. And he's like, you know, have you seen have you seen my niece anywhere? And the bartender, you know, Cordell's favorite person in the world is like, yeah, she's the one over there with the tonic and lime and bad ID. (laughs) Which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, geez. So he goes over and uh, this is where they talk about, like, you know, the fallout between um, Casey and his brother and. You know, he's like, why Why don't you like me? And she's like, why don't you talk about why you didn't talk to my dad for five years? And this is where I, I just have my notes. Steven Seagal is no Oscar winner. And then I say neither is Katherine Heigl. Oh, man. Yeah, but, but she's doing a lot better job in this movie than Seagal is. I know it pissed me off. Uh, and I, I don't know if I'll ever get to this, but I swear to God, Cordell, like two or three times this movie. She won't shut up about that goddamn Navy cross. I know. Like, like that's like this weird scene later. She's talking to the bot, the 
waitress and she's like, my dad has two of them. And then he's got medals that are so secret. But there's, there's, I, I swear, there's like at least two scenes where she's like, this is Navy Cross. My dad had it, but my uncle has two. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up about the goddamn cross. And Cordell's here like, you should be talking about the Cordell sandwich you're going to make with that uh, bartender. Ooh. <laughs> Let's go. Um, but uh, so she, she, she tells Steven Seagal, she's like, uh, I'm going to go take a walk. But they kind of resolve their differences because she's like, you know, look, like, I didn't want to like you, but let's just be friends now. And he's like, OK. Yeah. I thought this was funny because then he goes to the quickest, no, fu- quickest fucking resolution ever. Yeah, they, they have a fight. Then he walks up to the bar and he's like, what's the strongest thing you've got? And then she walks up and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. Let's be friends. That is not how you do it. Normally, you have you have they have a big fight, and then she gets captured, and then at the end of the film, when he saves her, they resolve all their issues. This movie pretty much just gets it resolved right off the bat. Yeah, I was surprised. As we'll get into it, the the niece really doesn't do anything. I thought she would. We do know um, we know she has moves. Yeah, so she tells after they make up a little bit, she tells Casey, she's like, All right, I'm gonna take a walk. And she runs into Bobby again. Oh, Bobby. And this is where we get he's talking about like, oh, you know, I, I can kick some ass, I got moves, and she's like, Okay, disarm me. And he's like, All right, let me do it. And he grabs her arm and she does this like move or she like twists his wrist over his own wrist and like flips him over. Uh, Which was pretty badass. And she's like, where'd you learn that? I had a really cool uncle. He taught me some stuff. Is that the guy you were with? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) And uh, this is where we get a really weird, like, he's talking to the bartender, you know, stealing Cordell's woman. And he's she's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like writing my memoirs. And she's like, aren't you a little young to be writing your memoirs? And, you know, he says something about like. You know, I've been through a lot or whatever. Um, yeah. And then we cut to. At least I, I swear this we cut to all of a sudden he's in the kitchen. No. um, So Bobby walks up and he walks up to the bar and he's like to the bartender. You know, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but give me a drink. And she's like, yeah, yeah. Just put this stuff up, up, you know, send the stuff up. Because I guess they have like a dumb waiter they use to like send stuff throughout the train. So he does that, and then he's talking to Steven Seagal, and he's like, you know, like, you teach her those moves? She kicked the, you know, she kicked my ass. And he's like, yeah. But then uh, somehow, and I did not catch this transition, Cordell, it cuts to Steven Seagal is making a cake for her? (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, he's taking over the kitchen? Yeah, and all the cooks in there seem to be like, hey, what's up? Welcome to our kitchen. Hey, just walks in and starts, like, making a cake. And I don't know what cake you make where you, like, microwave it for 15 minutes, but I guess it works. Because uh, <laughs> he's like, you know, hot, we put all this shit. And... A hot, ready brownie cake? I don't know. <laughs> um, but meanwhile, back up front at the train, the uh, conductor's 
hit the uh, hit the brakes because these guys start walking out. And I didn't catch this, Cordell. Was there something on the train that blew up, or did it just hit the brakes for the guys with the flag? They ran over something because it, the camera shows they run over something that makes like a loud like pop sound. Take it, Cordell. I know you want to say it. Oh my God! So we get so the train goes over the tra- rails. There's like this weird explosion, like pop sound. And everyone's just kind of like looking around like, what was that? We cut back to the room where David and that, you know, chick is making love and having sex. And he kind of puts his head up and goes, what was that? And she's like, that was an orgasm. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. That was a classic. <laughs> so uh <laughs> so out front and the, so the con- the conductor and the other conductor stamp on the brakes. I'm sorry, what were you going to say for Bill? No, I was letting you continue, but yeah, they they slam on the brakes cuz they see two guys flagging them down and they know something's wrong because they're like, well those aren't our guys. And they walk outside, and I, I like this bit, too. The conductor is like, you know, like, well, what's the matter? And the one guy goes, oh, someone's been shot, and then pulls out a pistol and guns him down. Yeah. And so this is when the uh, – and we've kind of been following the two choppers from that search and rescue roll up. And uh, so the train is stopped, and the, the terrorists hop on board and basically storm it. And, uh, you know, pretty standard – Standard stuff. They're shooting guns into the air. They get all the passengers. Um, they get the and, uh, to the back of the like to the last couple cars of the train. Yeah, Gilder and her guy. A guy busts in and shoots their radio. Yeah, I love that. Um, and uh, so in the chef's thing, this guy hops into the kitchen and this one chef grabs a cleaver, but he gets shot. And I was like, Oh man, that sucks. So Steven Seagal like punches the guy out and smashes his face into like the fridge and leaves like a giant smear of blood. Did you see that? I, love this, I like the line. He, he shoots that one chef and he goes, any more heroes? And then Ryback just comes out of nowhere and just fucks this guy's day up. <laughs> But then Ryback, uh, you know, is like to the other because the guys outside, the terrorists are like, you know, oh shit, we got a casualty in the kitchen. And Ryback's like to the other chefs, get down. And they just, the guys outside just unload and all the other chefs get blown away. I was like, oh man, that sucks. You know what I don't understand? So we're going to find out that they don't plan on letting the hostages live. Like they're going to cause this train to crash into others. But they want to make a point of cleaning up the bodies of the people they shoot. Yeah, I didn't really understand that one either. I was like, well, if nobody's going to be in the kitchen, why bother cleaning up? So this is where we get a. So the terrorists out, they have the train stopped and they're like, all right, we want this uh, Everett McGill, who's Penn. He's kind of like the muscle man, the the leader of these mercenaries. You know, he's like, we we want this train loaded up in five minutes or whatever. And uh, Dane is, uh, you know, also leading them. So they're putting all these boxes in the train. They got all the passengers into the back to the back to train cars. And uh, Dane looks in on. 
uh, Gilder and uh, Trilling, you know, and he's like, and we get pretty clear. This is the first time we actually get to watch like uh, Travis Dane talk. And the staccato in this guy's voice, Cordell, it's not quite Tommy Lee Jones level, but he does have quite a maniacal rant. And you have probably seen this guy before. Really? He did not ring a bell. What's he been in? He was in the 1985 horror movie, The Stuff. Oh, okay. He was in a movie called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Um, Beavis and Butthead do America, but that was a voice. That was a voice thing. Um, he was in Blade Trinity. Charlie's. So he's he's a working actor, pretty much. Yep. Arafat. Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle. Uh, He's still working to this uh, day. Oh, he was that guy in Uncut Gems. Okay, you see that movie? I haven't seen the movie, but I was just about to say he was in he was in the movie Uncut Gems, and he's got a new movie coming out pretty soon called Reptile. Uncut Gems is great. I highly recommend it. Um, Adam Sandler legitimately should have gotten the Oscar nomination for that. I say that unironically. And then, of course, you know, aside of his uh, aside of his film, he's been in like a lot of TV. It looks like he was in Tales from the Dark Side, Twilight Zone, uh, Law and Order. So he, yeah, he's a working actor, but he so. do, he doesn't really bring what Tommy Lee Jones did to the first movie. He's he's Tommy Lee Jones, just kind of dialed back a little bit. So let's take a moment and talk about our two our two bad guys, Cordell, because, yes, this guy is no Tommy Lee Jones. He's a downgrade. Um, I do like when he starts ranting. Well, that's why some of it's kind of amusing. That's why they had to add Marcus Penn, you know, because if you look at it, you know, Seagal never really got like a fist-to-fist uh, one-on-one fight with Gary Busey, but he did get one with um, Tommy Lee. Well, nobody's going to buy this Eric Bogusian taking on fucking Ryback. So they had to give a – so they had to get a bigger dude. So that's not why we I- have, that's why we have Penn. We and missed- I got to say, Cordell, I don't know what you think. But I was like, oh, I know Gary Busey, this sucks. But dude, Penn is a badass. Oh, dude, he. This guy is an intimidating motherfucker. Like, he, I believe this guy would kick the shit out of Gary Busey. Oh, dude, this guy, like, fucking, like, straight, straight up kills one of his own men who uh, call, basically says he fucks up later on. Yeah, and he's smart too. He once he finds out it's Ryback, he like he knows what he's doing. Oh my god, I love that scene. We'll get to it, but I love that scene because it's like it seems like almost everybody in this mercenary group knows who Casey Ryback is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got I gotta say I started out this movie. I was like, oh boy, we got knockoff Tommy Lee Jones and knockoff Gary Busey. But by the end of it, I'm like, all right, this is respectable. And you know what? Shout out to this mercenary group for being open-minded and getting not just a female mercenary, but a black female for mercenary. 
Did you notice that? Yeah, the whole movie, I was wondering. I was like, are they going to have Steven Seagal kill this chick? But we'll, we'll get to what happens to her. But uh, yeah, I did notice. I was like, they're a very varied group of people. Do you know? Oh, my God. Do you want to know what her name is, though? Because they never say her name in the movie. Her name's Fatima. No, what's her name? Her name's Fatima. Fatima? Yeah, F-A-T-I-M-A. That is a very unflattering name. <laughs> well, we'll get to her, because there's a scene with her that legitimately is confusing. We'll, we'll talk about it. All right. So, the bad guys. So, the, they've taken over the train. <clears throat> and... Uh, they take the they take uh, Sarah they take uh, Cordell's bartender hostage, and everyone's uh, crowded back. And this might be where we get the scene where she talks like again about the goddamn Navy Cross. I'm sorry, I can't get off this Cordell. It just annoyed the hell out of me. Because <laughs> I feel every other scene she's just like, "This is a Navy Cross." I'm like, "Uh huh." I know. I was waiting for the soup Nazi to come in and be like, "No Navy Cross for you." Um, but then we get this this callback legitimately made me laugh, Cordell, because I was like, well, where the hell did Seagal go? And then we cut to the freezer. I know. I I never caught that on all the times I watched this in the past, but I noticed it this time. But uh, I legitimately I'm not. That is one of the smartest things in this movie, which is saying a lot. But I was like, that is a clever, fun little callback. Um, so he's been the freezer and this is where we get the, uh, awesome line where once he sees like all the carnage, he goes, now this is what I'm trained for. So and, uh, let's no, talk about our villain here. Let's talk about what our villain is setting up in the train. Sure. So, and this kind of ties in because so Dane, um, he gets all these boxes on board the train and they take off again. And we find out that all those boxes are like computers and like little like satellite radio dish things. And uh, this is also when he looks, rolls up to Gilder and the guy she's fucking and is basically like, you know, oh, I see you guys have been up to some naughty stuff. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Don't you know the agency has a policy against that? Oh, my God, I love this line. Is that what this is about? Yes. I uh, faked my death and took and hijacked a passenger plane, a passenger train, all because I care about who you're fucking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we come to find out that uh, this Travis Dane fellow is the guy who designed and basically he's the one who made the Grazer One satellite weapon. Remember the space sequence, kids? You weren't supposed to forget that. And uh, so he grabs Gildan, Gilder and Trilling up to the like, they're like in the center car, I think, basically the one that's like above the bar. And he has them like, you know, sit, sat down in front of him. And this is where he gets uh, Fatima or whatever. She gets like a ra- uh, red hot. What even was that, Cordell? Like a needle or something? It's like some type of poker, but... He's basically asking for them at this point. He says, hey, I need your secret access codes. And they're like, fuck you. So and this was kind of scary because he goes on a long, detailed description. He's like, all right, well, here's what this red hot poker is going to do to your eyeball. Ooh, I have a thing. He's about like, that. you know, first, it's not going to hurt when it goes in. 
but then it's going to like, you know, cause the uh, vapor inside of your eye to expand and your eyeballs going to explode. Yeah, I'm really glad that they I'm really glad that they just gave up the uh, codes because I did not want to see that. So first they do it to uh, Gilder and uh, David like gives up the ghost like it, it takes like two seconds. He's like, all right, here's my code. You know, and, you know, he's like, oh, look, the code's not going to do you any good. It changes every, like, you know, X amount of time. But uh, so then they do it to him. And I kind of thought this was darkly amusing, Cordell, did you? Because as soon as they threaten his woman, right, he's like, all right, I'll give it up. But she, (laughs) she holds out till like, the last second. Oh, yeah, that's. I was like, damn. You must not have had good dick, sir. (laughs) I don't know. He did. He did give her the orgasm. But still, it's not no. She almost didn't do it, but uh, she gives up her code too. Yeah, but they were having sex on a train, and there's all those bumps and everything. I'm thinking that more it was like the bumps than his, than his actual like skill that was causing that. <laughs> you know what? That's a good. That's a good point. We'll, uh, we'll chalk it up to the train. But uh, so he gets the codes from them, and that's when he kind of tells them he's like, "Well, look." Like, I designed the system, and I also designed the, you know, back doors into the system. So even though, like, they think their code is worthless, that's what he actually is able to use. And we find out he has a CD of targeting codes for the satellite. Um, and the only thing I said, I, I didn't catch many of his quotes, but I was like, this guy, like, when he starts talking, he, he has, like, this almost, like, car salesman kind of vibe. It's pretty funny. Um, and so back to Steven Seagal in the kitchen car, he actually climbs out of the train and I got to take a moment, Cordell, and I got to say, there's a lot of shots in this movie of like the train in motion and it looks pretty good. Oh my gosh. We cannot forget. We, we cannot forget that little TV announcement that, uh, Dane makes. Yes, yeah, so he, he gets um he gets on on a camera and he basically talks to like the, his hostages and he does this whole kind of like parody of like, hello, ladies and gentlemen, we've had to divert your regularly scheduled travel, and he's like, unfortunately, if any of you, you're safe, no, it's important to us. If anyone tries to play a hero, or in the case of emergency, we may have to kill you. Hmm. And I do think this guy's pretty funny once he starts, like, ranting like that. Oh, this dude is a nerd. This guy is, like, a nerd through and through. (laughs) And that's why, so, like, last time we had Tommy Lee Jones, who also we found out could kick some ass. And we had Gary Busey, who we assumed could kick some ass, but never did. But in this movie, we have a clearly delineated, like, this guy is the guy with the brains. And, like, uh, Penn is his muscle, pretty much. Um, and so, uh, Steven Seagal actually climbs outside the train. And so he starts moving like car to car. And I think he, yeah, this is when he gets on top of the train and we actually get some cool shots of him, like standing on top of it. I don't know if it's actually Steven Seagal or a stuntman, but it does look cool. So in a cut through all this, we have, uh, scenes, um, Dane is taking over the grazer. And we have scenes back at the military base 
and everybody starts freaking out because oh shit we've lost control of the uh of the satellite yeah i love how they're like ah it must just be a glitch yeah, because this is where uh, Dane decides to show everybody exactly, you know, the power of the um, grazer. He targets well, a secret... Before that, though, Cordell, he, he, it, this is pretty funny. He's like, oh, I don't need these two guys anymore. Take care of them. And I, I'm not, I thought for sure that these two, like, government bozos are going to, like, help Steven Seagal out. Gilder and the uh, other guy. But no, they just take them out to like an open car door and they just toss them the fuck out of the train. Yeah, they toss them out and they wait and they wait till they're like over like a deep vet like canyon or something to do it. Yeah, we get like uh, Gilder's POV as she like falls into this fucking rock in a river and it even cuts to Seagal. He's like, Jesus. Yeah, that was. That I'm I'm going to go ahead and say those two were kind of unnecessary deaths, kind of like, you know, Nash in the first movie. When those two mercenaries like, you know, oh, yeah, I forgot about Private Nash. (laughs) He told Nash to get on his knees, hands behind his back, everything. And then they just blew him away. And it was like, why didn't you just lock him in a room somewhere? Shout out to Nash, who can hear gunfire, Cordell. And he's like, nah, must be nothing. You know, I just felt like killing these two was just kind of redundant. Like, just take them to the, take them to the back with the rest of the hostages. But, but we're gonna find out they plan on killing everybody anyway. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It just seems kind of stupid to waste all that time. But like, just if I yeah, I would have just stuck them with everybody else and been like, yeah, oh, let them. Pray that they're going to get saved and then they just all die in the end. But yeah, that was kind of a shocker. Um, But, you know, we have to make sure the audience knows that our bad guys are capital E evil. Yeah, it might have, you know, having them tossed out may have been, you know, kind of like revenge on Dane's part because he does blame the Department of Defense for firing him and taken his you know invention and everything so it might have just kind of been like a big fuck you to him but yeah like you were saying um so this is where we find out basically that dane uh much like tommy lee jones in the first movie his whole shtick is he's got a bunch of like middle eastern we assume terrorist people um who he's like all right gentlemen i now have control of the satellite let me provide you with a demonstration and uh, this is where reality gets tossed out the window because he takes the satellite and he targets. He has a good monologue because he's like, "We're targeting a fertilizer plant in China." No, you idiot! It's not fertilizer. It's a weapons plant in China that the Chinese, that the U.S. pretends it doesn't know is a weapons plant, and the Chinese pretend they don't know that the U.S. knows is a weapons plant. And so we both just pretend. <laughs> I like that. It's a Chinese biological weapons facility. But um, this kind of took me out of the movie, Cordell, because he's talking. He's like, yeah, you know, we're going to blow this up. Thousands of people are going to die. Um, what they're actually doing is like starting an earthquake underneath it. Yes. But uh, 
he actually goes through with it. And we keep cutting back to Kurtwood Smith and company back in the, uh, you know, joint chief of staff's place, which I guess is in Colorado. And uh, they're like, you know, oh, my God, they're targeting this. Um, they're actually going to do it. And so we watch the uh, satellite go off. And it kind of weirdly, we only get like a quick shot of like a model factory blowing up. Did you notice that, Cordell? We didn't actually get any like destruction. Actually, um, piece of trivia number three, folks. The the scene of the destroyed industrial facility in China recycles unused footage from another Steven Seagal movie called On Deadly Ground. Huh. Interesting. Yep. It is it's the, like it is the uh, oil facility. It is the it is basically just a model of the oil facility from that movie that's being destroyed. Yeah, it's a really quick like five second shot. Um, but I gotta say, dude, no good. I think it's just to kind of convey that you know this weapon is legit. This is not something to fuck with. You know, like, you you know, it's like oh, the last movie people were kind of worried about tomahawk missiles. Well, I got something that's even better than Tomahawk missiles. I was like, oh, this is where I had to do like a reality check because I was like, OK, this this legitimately would start World War Three if this actually happened. Right. Like. Like if this happened, like the Chinese and U.S. would like be nuking each other. You know, what I, I mean, know, I love the line right before the right before they like fire off the weapon. They're like, it's targeting a plate. It's targeting a facility in China. Not China, not there, not a nation. <laughs> we missed also Cordell before he targets it. He gets the CD of target codes, and we get the immortal line: "Hmm, three hundred pages of code or six hundred minutes of leather bondage porno." <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um, besides the fact that this in real life, this guy would have you know started World War Three. Yeah, he blows up this weapons plant in China, and we get all the U.S. guys being like, oh, my God. But and, uh, so find out who's behind it. Yes. Because, well, first uh, we find – no, good. Because the screen, after they blow up the – um, after Dane blows up the China place – the screen kind of does like that ominous, creepy. You, you know how people do this for effect where something dramatic happens and then like they just slowly show like a message. I yes. thought that was kind of funny. He's like, oh, my God, that's what Dane used to say. <laughs> what was yeah, the... I, forget, I forget what the quote is. Do you remember that? Something about like chance. Chance rewards those. Chance favors the prepared mind. Yes, thank That's you. Um, and so we find out basically because Dane is still on the phone of like his Middle Eastern people. Although later he's talking in like German or something. So who knows? But uh, he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to blow up. the. There's like a, a tiny little crack underneath the Pentagon. That has a nuclear reactor in it, and I'm gonna blow that up for a billion dollars, <laughs> and hopefully wipe out most of the eastern seaboard. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, let's kill, like, you know, you're killing like billions of people, like that's like gonna wipe. Uh, well, here's the thing, Cordell, this guy wants a billion dollars. 
if he does that, is it the dollar even going to be worth anything? Probably not. You know what I'm saying there? Like, <laughs> at that point, you're just like dooming the earth, right? Like, he's gonna have to convert. He's gonna have to convert that shit to pounds, pesos, or rubles. Yeah, like, We'll, we'll get into it, but this guy thinks he can, like, you know, like, annihilate half of America and then just, like, go to Switzerland, like. Yeah, like, how does that work? I think even at that point, Switzerland would be like, uh, no. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's a little unrealistic. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's like to his Middle Eastern cronies, you know, give me a billion dollars and I'll wipe out, you know, basically America for you. And that's why I have the note. I'm like, this dude's going to wipe out the East Coast for a, mil- a measly $1 billion. So after this happens, we get like what I find to be one of the most hilarious scenes. And so after Dane destroys the weapons facility, um, they decide, OK, we need to bring in, you know, Admiral Bates and everything. We need to let him know what's going on. So we get the return of Admiral Bates and Captain Garza from the first film. And they're kind of going on about, like, well, we we, la- we launched a secret, you know, project weapon up into the space, but we've lost control of it. And they're like, I thought, and, got, and Bates is like, I thought we shut that project down. And then you got Tom Breaker, like, we secretly funded the project. Yeah, that was kind of funny. And, and this is where I did have my note. I was like, okay, these are the bozos from the first movie. And I, but, love, uh, this, and no, I, love, I love the line. Um, Captain uh, B- Admiral Bates looks at him and says, do you mind telling me why the hell we keep employing these psychos into our intelligence? And I guess that, that is a reference, right, to... Uh... Yeah, and... Uh, Oh my gosh, CIA dude! I just blanked out his name for a second. Oh, uh, well, hold on, let me we look it back up. Tom Baker. Uh, what? Yeah, yes, Tom, yeah, Tom Baker. He looks at him and says, "Because Admiral, sane people do not develop the 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 plans and weapons that these people do." And this is where I think we get that throwback line to the first movie, because Bates looks at. Uh, Breaker and says, you'd think we'd have learned by, from that by now. Yeah, I guess that is like a subtle reference to part one. But they never actually like talk about the incident with the uh, ship. Um, I, you know, they're probably thinking you, you've seen the first movie, you know what happens. But, uh, and then we get lots more of like the pretty shots of like the train moving along. And then we get this scene is genuinely hilarious, Cordell, because we cut back to the, uh, the Dane, uh, Dane. And this guy's like, sir, a customer wants you to blow up a plane. I love this. He says his ex wife is on it. <laughs> and Dane's like, no way. Like, you know, he could cough up a billion like everybody else. And then the guy's like, he says he'll do it for a hundred million, and, and the look on this guy's face, on Dane's face, when he just like stops and he's like, "Hmm." <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know. I just I just found that very amusing. So Steven Seagal has uh, basically hopped. weapon is 
it proves that not only is this weapon deadly, but this weapon is precise. Yes. Um, it should be mentioned as well that when the terrorists were taking over the train, Bobby managed to, like, slip away and hide. Oh, my God. I love that line. He jumps into, like, a whole thing of, like, luggage. Two got two armed guys come in, check the luggage. Guy, like, just starts spraying it with machine gun. Luggage checked. <laughs> that is pretty funny. So, uh, actually... No, no, we're doing our typical thing, Cordell. Has, has uh, Ryback met up with Bobby at this point? Uh, he has made it back there, and, you know, Bobby's kind of, he's kind of being a little pussy. He's like, I just want to hit the brakes and everything. And then Ryback basically says, you know, my niece is up there along with all the hostages, and I don't want nothing to happen to him. Because... Ryback comes in, he's like, oh, this, thank goodness you found me, man, there's some guys out there, and they tried to shoot at me, so Ryback goes out there, he's like, no, what are you doing, man, get back in here, what are you, what are you going to get killed? Um, yeah, so this is when Ryback is like to Bobby, he's like, all right, look through this luggage, see if you can find anything that can be used as a weapon, <laughs> and all, all he finds is some lingerie, it looks like, later. Yeah, and he, later when Rabbi cam, comes back, he's like, what'd you find? This, this, uh, some clothes and a pool stick. <laughs> I do um, he finds a hoodie to wear, though. Oh, yeah, he does. He does back, change. Ryback tells him to get out of the that white, uh, out of the whites. <clears throat> so, and this, this is kind of interesting to me, Cordell, because this train is not very secure, because basically Ryback walks, he's right underneath the command center. Did you notice this? Oh, yeah. You know, he probably, if he really wanted to, he probably could have, like, taken a machine gun and, like, shot into the ceiling. Yeah, this whole movie, I'm like, all you need to do is, like, jump up there and, like, shoot some of those computers and you're golden, you know? Like, um... <laughs> We did kind of miss a scene, though. Right before uh, he found Bobby, he did get his, like, little pad. And he went and got the power turned back on so he could send an SOS message. Yeah, so that's what I was going to get to. So he turns the power back on to the main car. And after he leaves Bobby, he goes there. And Steven Seagal is not someone I think of as being, like, technologically, like, advanced. Mm. But he basically... <laughs> He basically has, like, this little, like, what the fuck is it? Like a Palm Pilot or something? It is, according to uh, IMDb Trivia, the device Ryback connects to the disabled phone is an Apple Newton PDA Personal Device Assistant, MP2000. This device, about the size of an iPad mini and the thickness of a book, was used for notes, calendar, and a calculator, it did not text or email. It also ran some third-party software like Quicken. Wow. How far we've come, Cordell. This is another scene I'll get into later. Yeah, this movie, um, they, he would have been using an iPad. <laughs> but uh, so he gets the power back on, and he's in the phone booth underneath the command center. And so he keeps trying to, like, send a fax back to his restaurant. And... um. He's basically like it keeps he basically sets it to like keep trying to send this fax. You know, I completely um, forgot that he had like this handheld Palm Pilot device 
when he grabs his bag and he grabs like his gun and everything, I literally thought he for some reason had that seal megaphone that he had in the last movie. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, does do you just randomly just carry that around with you everywhere? <laughs> Do you have Erica Laniac stuffed into that suitcase too? You know, like yeah. Um, I kind of wish she had come back too. Yeah, that would have been fun. There's uh, instead we get Bobby. <laughs> um, so this is when, so basically he restores power, and up in the command center, Penn notices. I don't know what he looks at, but he's basically like, what the fuck? I thought you cut the power. He, so he says well, they, go under the, uh, they go under an overhead tunnel and he notices lights downstairs reflecting off the walls of the tunnel. Uh, OK, so he's like there was one goon, this guy who only has one eye. I forget what his name is, but he's like, I thought you cut the power. Go check it out. And this is pretty cool because this guy goes down Cordell and. Uh, Steven Seagal gets at him with a knife, and there's a, we actually get a good shot. He, like, slices his wrist open. I have got to say, you mentioned he's right below the command center. He is right there by the stairs with an opening that leads right up into the command center where all the terrorists are. So he's he's downstairs fucking people up, and not one person upstairs hears that shit. <laughs> I know it's pretty fucking stupid, but you can kind of buy it because like they have all the hostages, like he can't really do anything. But yeah, on a train, there's there's definitely there's not a lot of room to like maneuver. It's not like a battleship. I got some. Uh... I got some interesting trivia before we got the actor that we did for Dane. Do you want to know who were approached to play Travis Dane? Yeah, hit me. Gary Oldman, Lawrence Fishburne, Julian Sands, and Jeff Goldblum. Interesting. I mean, I like Dane, but all those people I think would have been a little better. Yeah, it says here they refused the role, so I wonder, it doesn't say why they each refused it, so that's kind of... Oh, and apparently a a man named John Peters was slated to be the producer for the movie, but when he found out he couldn't bring back Gary Busey, he he just quit the project. Oh, man. That's wild. People, like, really love Gary Busey. I don't know why, but I guess he was at one point a very, like, marketable big star. He was. Um, so, yeah, so this guy walks downstairs. Seagal takes the knife to him, cuts his wrist open. Uh, I forget. I think he, like, snaps his neck or something like that. He slices his wrist and snaps his neck and then hides the body. And this is finally when, like, the plane blows up that we see. And uh, we keep cutting back to the Pentagon guys who are like, oh, my God. And this is when uh, Travis Dane calls the Pentagon. And this is this gives Tommy Lee Jones a run for his money, actually. 
Because he pops up with the fucking Eiffel Tower behind him on all their video screens. And then we it cuts to the train and he's got like a really beautiful background uh, of France. And he's like, bonjour. <laughs> like, and I'll, let me find some of his quotes here. But I, it's pretty, I, like, uh, I like Bates in the scene. He's like, who the hell is that? And that one guy's like, Jesus Christ. Well, not exactly, although I did return from the dead. No, it's just your old friend Travis Dane. You remember, the guy you fired. <laughs> um, and so he basically tells him, like, this guy, he, he gives no fucks, right? He's not even like Tom- Tommy Lee Jones is, like, pretending to be crazy. This guy is just basically like, yep, I'm going to nuke D, like, you know, I'm going to wipe DC off the map. There's nothing you can do about it. And uh, so earlier, the Pentagon guys had all launched a missile to, like, try and blow up what they thought was the satellite. <laughs> but uh, it, blo- it blew up another satellite. And they're like, so what the hell did we blow up? And he's like, you're probably wondering what you launched a missile at. Well, that was the NSA's only satellite able to, like, you know, track a person, which you'd probably be calling them to use right now. But since they don't know what the fuck happened to it. <laughs> Yeah, this is pretty funny. I, I do like this like whole call because he's basically like, and don't forget, guys, I was smarter than you before you hired me. I was smarter than you when you hired me, and I'm smarter than you now. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> I love that. This guy really does give Stranix a run for his money. He does. He really does. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's amazing to me, though, because this guy worked in, like, the federal government. And I think a best, uh, you know, we know that the mercenaries know who Ryback is when they, you know, we'll get to that, but they know who he is. The fact that Dane doesn't know who Ryback is, I would think that everybody in the government would kind of know Ryback after the whole situation with the Missouri yeah, but for all we know, the Missouri could have been, like, only a year ago, which is when Dane was let go. You it, know what I mean? Yeah, it's weird, because you never really know who knows what and who doesn't. Um, but then, so this is when this movie goes in the full-on action mode, because so Penn, up in the command center, he's like to his other goon, you know, we haven't heard from One-Eyed Man, so go down and check on him. And, uh, you know, this guy goes... They're oh, opening God. doors, they're opening windows. Well, he clearly didn't come down here. I don't know where the fuck he went. Motherfucker's gone. But Penn, he's smart. He notices a small blood speck on the ground. He does. And this is when, um, so Seagal goes back, Ryback goes back to Bobby, and Bobby has changed his clothes at this point. And this is where we get the scene where he, like, uh, he hands him a Glock. And uh, I'm going to get a little nerdy for a second, Cordell. Because he basically, you know, he's teaching him, like, here's how you use a gun. Sweep, like, you know, 6, 9, 12. Don't look anywhere where the gun's not pointed. But then he leaves them, and uh, Bobby's like, you know, all right, safety off. A Glock has no safety, sir. Oh, boy. I'm getting nerdy, but did you know that Cordell Glocks don't actually have, like, well, they have, like, a trigger safety, but the whole point is that, like, if you, like, there is no, like, 
if you pull a trigger on a Glock, the gun's going to go off no matter what. Anyway, I did not know that. That's actually nice to know. Yeah, well, it has a trigger safety, right? So the whole idea is that, like, if, if you pull the trigger and your finger's not on the trigger, it won't work. But, like, if your finger's on the trigger and you pull it, that gun is going off. I do like his line to Ryback, though. He's like, where the hell are you going now? I'm going to go to the front of the train, try to get to that phone. Or the radio, I think. Yeah, radio. He's trying to get to a radio. And this is when Penn finds the blood spot, and he knows something's up, so he says, we have an intruder. Sweep the train. Yeah, Penn's a smart motherfucker. And that's the one thing I like to give this movie is like the the villains in this movie, they know something's up and they immediately go for it and they are on the hunt for Ryback. In that last movie, you know, they were on a ship in the middle of the ocean and basically Tommy Lee Jones is like, we got a deadline to do. Just try to keep him contained to one area of the ship. They weren't hunting oh. Ryback. They weren't. Like running through corridors, trying chasing after him, trying to get him. He ba- they basically just waited till Ryback came to them. Yeah, like oh, you got to figure there's a lot less space on a train, right? So they got to think like, okay, if there's somebody here, we can we can take them out easier. I mean. If you, you look where he ends up and places on this train, it's pretty impressive. Um, so this is where we kind of get back in the action movie mode, because Seagal hops back up on top of the train. He moves forward towards the front cabin. And uh, basically, he gets into a gunfight. There's like, what, four guys up in the front cabin, Cordell? Yes. And so he starts I'm trying to remember. He kills the he kills the one guy and basically the guys up front are all like shooting at him. And around this time, uh Penn finds the body of the uh one-eyed guy. I know that was like a horror movie reveal. It was, because the guy just like slumps out covered in blood. Yeah. He, and this is when he's and uh no good. Uh, he is fucked up. He is. And so they get the call. They're like, all right, he's at the front of the train. So Penn's like, all right, everybody go up there and fuck him up. So we get all it's kind of like a cool tension moment because the Gauls in like a gunfight with the guys at the front. And we keep cutting to like a whole bunch of other mercs like rushing up the train, you know. And um, up there to get him. Yes. And I, I got to say, Cordell, I love a lot of this action. Like, you, you know, the whole scene where like. Seagal is like on the side of the train and he's like opening up the the like panels to like hide behind as he's like shooting at the other guy. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was really well done. So um Fatma gets up there. I really don't know how to pronounce this woman's name. So if if it's not Fatma and that's just how I'm saying it, I do apologize, but that's just how I, I'm reading it. Yeah, and so we get um, the one guy. No, well, before that, the one guy, did you remember this, Cordell? He kicks off the front of the train, and we get, like, an extended shot of him under the tracks. Yeah, I was like, ooh, that is not a way I'd want to go. That's fucked up. 
But yeah, so Seagal kills all the guys in the front. And uh, he's in like a gunfight with a bunch of other guys, the blonde guy, and they get Fatima or Fatma, and she's got the sniper up there. And she fucking nails Seagal. She gets the sights on him, shoots him. And he presumably falls off. But I love where he's hiding. So, uh, what's his name? What the fuck is the blonde guy's name? Uh, the blonde guy's name is... You know who I'm talking about. Peter Green. Merc number one is all he's credited as. Uh, yes. Is Merc number one Penn's lieutenant who was once instructed by Ryback at Fort Bragg. Him and this other guy roll up and they see a shit ton of blood like down the side of the train. And he's like, like, all right. They're like, Batima got the motherfucker. And he's like to the one guy, you know, stay here. And the camera pans down and we see Steven Seagal is hanging on underneath the train. Because you just because you are just that badass if you're Steven Seagal. Alright, but we need to talk about this, Cordell. Because we cut to Seagal coming back to Bobby. Did you notice this? I did not understand this at all. And he's like, what the fuck does he say to Bobby? Bobby's like, did you get shot? And he's like, there's no bullet in there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I did, because it, it kind of bothers me, because we don't really see... It like, what the fuck like, happened? It doesn't really look like Seagal was injured at all. Dude, I looked. There is no bullet hole in his jacket. He doesn't have a single injury, but he clearly got fucking shot. We do get so like, it, we do get a dramatic scene, though, like when they're like, yeah, we got the fucker, he fell off the train. Cuts back to Sarah it, with the hostages, and she's like, she briefly for a moment thinks that her uncle has been killed. And we got another scene where she's like, this is the Navy Cross, because that's all Catherine Heigl can fucking talk about. I know, right? Like, what is, like, dude, I got it. It's a Navy Cross. But do you know what I'm talking, like, Cordell, like, did he get shot or not? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know. I really can't answer this for you. I don't know if he's wounded. I don't know if maybe. Like, did you notice this too, though? Like, I don't know if Fatima shot somebody else and Ryback used their blood as his own. So here's my here's my theory, Cordell, because I know Steven Seagal has like he's one of those actors who like is big on like in my contract. I will never lose a fight. Um, I think maybe he might have been like, all right. I'll pretend to get shot this day on set. But then the next day he's like, nah, Ryback doesn't get shot. And so they just had to like go with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, that bothered me a lot. Actually. I was like, what the fuck? Meanwhile, Penn is asking the important questions. He's like, what was he doing? Or who was he? And what was he doing downstairs? And so uh, this is when Penn actually discovers the facts, right? He finds the device. Oh, I fucking love this dude. (laughs) Because I like it. He finds the device and it says message sent. He's like, son of a bitch. (laughs) So um, 
And this is, yeah, like you said, this is when Penn is basically like, all right, who the fuck is this guy? And I forget how they find it out, but they figure out Ryback is the guy. Well, th- so they take uh, Ryback's PDA system and Dane hacks into it, basically. And he's like reading off all these cooking uh, recipes and everything. He goes, sounds good. <laughs> and it, yeah, I forget. And, um, no, and it gets, he gets to uh, the thing that Ryback was writing. It says Ryback's tactics. And the moment he says Ryback, everybody just freaks out. It was like, Penn is like, Ryback? That's what the name, that's what it says, Ryback's tactics. Casey fucking Ryback? Jesus. And, and we get this awesome line where he grabs the blonde dude and he's like, did you see the body? Well, no, before that, we get that awesome line from Dane where he goes, who's Casey fucking Ryback? <laughs> So Penn grabs grabs the blonde dude and he's like, "Did you see the body?" And the guy's like, "No." And Penn just fucking smacks the shit out of him. And what's he say? And the guy's like, "We assumed he was dead." And he's like, "What does he say?" He's like, "Assume assume is assumption is the mother of all fuck ups." <laughs> and Penn Penn knows what he's dealing with. I love Penn Cordell because he's like, "All right, every man sweep the train." Top and bottom, car by car, on top of the train, underneath the carriage. And I'm like, this guy's smart. So he knows what he's dealing with. So now they're trying to figure out, okay, why was Casey Ryback on this train? Yeah, so they get a passenger list, and they're like, all right, find out, you know, who he's with. And they see it's Ryback plus one. And Penn, again, is very smart because he's like, all right, he's got to be traveling with, like, you know, a uh, chick he picked up or a daughter. Because no no man, no husband puts a wife as plus one. <laughs> I love that he's like, so what, you, you're just going to look for some babe? And Penn looks back and goes... Some bait. Penn is smart. Penn knows what he's doing. Dude, Penn is a badass. I'm I'm all on team Penn. Fuck Gary Busey. But uh so yeah, um so we cut back to Colorado in the restaurant and we see the facts printing off that uh Ryback managed to send. And of course the first time we see it, the chef doesn't even notice it. Yeah, he's too busy doing something. The kitchen's probably on fucking fire. And so this next scene actually like kind of made me laugh, Cordell, because we cut back to Ryback and Bobby. And uh he's in the he's at the bar. But I thought the bar was like right underneath the command center. <laughs> you know, it's like pretty close. And I will never understand this because somehow Ryback is able to make a bomb with like a cocktail shaker. Oh, I love this. Uh, he asks, "What are you doing now?" He's like, "Me, I'm making a bomb." And he pulls out like coconut, like uh, what's that stuff like? What is that stuff you like use for cooking? Like coconut, not coconut oil. Is it cream of coconut? Yeah, it's like a coconut cream stuff that you put in like a pan and then melt down to cook with. Yeah, but 
somehow Steven Seagal is so good. He can make a bomb with like bar ingredients. Hey, God damn it. I like what this bomb does when he finally uses it, though. Hey, so do I. Um, so in the meantime, uh, Penn and company, they walk up to where the hostages are. And I got to say, Cordell, like as soon as these guys bust in, right, Sarah should know what's up. Sarah should know what they're looking for. She does. And Sa- she is the worst fucking hostage ever. Did you notice this? Because literally the camera, right? Every other hostage is like head down, you know, like they're all like blurred out. And Sarah and this fucking bartender are like staring at the people defiantly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just like, you are the worst hostage ever. Like you were like, you are just asking to be found out. <laughs> and uh it doesn't help that she keeps going on about that fucking navy cross let me read you my note for when sarah gets taken it's like that damn navy cross finally paid off and i love it when she tries to hit him with the uh pepper spray and pen's not even like you know phased by it he's like get used to it enough times he takes it sprays in his mouth just clears out the sinuses Dude, Penn's a badass. I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill, Cordell. No, I'm agreeing with you. Penn is a worthy villain for Ryback because he does get a. I mean, I think his fight scene with Ryback towards the end of the film goes on a little bit longer than even Stranix's did. No, oh, I got issues with that fight scene. We'll we'll get to it. <laughs> but uh. So basically, Pen Pen gets Pen grabs Tara and he uh, he takes her up to the uh, command center. Now it should and, be, uh, now it should no, be stated that there were two scenes that were shot concerning the bartender woman. <laughs> yeah, uh, her name's Kelly. That's the name of the character. There were two scenes that were shot. One where she was shot in the knee, and another where she was shot in the uh, chest and killed. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, because she's like, you know, don't take her, and the fucking guy just turns around and caps her in the knee. So, in the, uh, the actress claims she didn't know, um, what happens to a character in the film until she saw the completed version, because at the end of the movie, at when they free the hostages, it's quite clear that she survives. Oh, is she there? I did not even notice. Yeah, she's there briefly. She's surrounded by all the other hostages who I'm assuming are like got a packed up. Don't worry, Cordell, your woman made it. But I gotta say, I remember the cause I the first time I ever saw this movie was on VHS. And I could have swore growing up, my memory was that she was killed when they take Sarah hostage. Well, you know what's funny is as soon as the guy turns around and shoots her, I was like, oh, my God, they killed her. And then there's like this weird like they pan down and like her knees bleeding. Yeah, I think there was some weird I think there was some weird fuckery with the. uh, With the shots during editing because I remember her being shot like right in the chest and not seeing her again, but we see her at the end of the film. So somebody screwed up in the editing. (laughs) 
But uh, <clears throat> is this when this movie goes full action mode, Cordell? Is this time? Is it time to talk about it? Oh yeah, because at this point, you know, they take Sailor hostage, and Steven Seagal he sneaks up the stairs with that bomb, and he just chucks it at one of the guys who catches it. And the fucking message on the bomb was hilarious. Do you what know did what it say? The guy uh, catches the bomb and he looks at the little message on it and it says, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, this kind of blew my mind because he just literally like walks up the stairs and just tosses the bomb. And dude, this fucking bomb just like blows up and like sets two guys on fire. Oh my god, I love Dane's reaction. Like, he gets up out of his chair and he's got, like, this look on his face, like, yeah. And am I right in saying this is when, like, Bobby was hiding in the dumbwaiter and he pops out and steals the CD? Yes. They okay. steal the CD. And then something ha- I forgot how it happens, but something happens during the chase where they all fall off the train. Okay, so so Seagal throws the bomb, right? Two guys get set on fire, and Penn, still the badass, he shoots one of the guys, and he's like, all right, put him out, right? And then he sends another goon down the stairs, and we see Seagal, like, putting, like, lighter fluid on the stairs and shit, and so this guy runs down, it and he shoots... lighter fluid. He grabbed, uh, when he, earlier when he went up to the front of the train, he grabbed a flare gun. Well, yes, and so when the guy comes down, he shoots him with the flare gun, and that guy's on fire. <laughs> and I gotta say, Cordell, I'm like, as someone who thought like this movie had no money, right? I am impressed because they got fire running around, like, oh my, people on fire running around, like it's just crazy. There's a lot of fire suits being used. Everybody, like half the room's on fire. They're spraying, trying to get it all out. And Dane notices they took the disc. He's like, the disc. They took my disc. I can't do anything without the disc. Yeah, he's like, uh, you know, he's basically like, this train is like 20 million pounds of scrap metal without that CD. Um, so this is when, uh, so basically it just devolves into like a running fight now. Like this one guy like gets into a fight with Seagal and he like, uh. So Seagal's outside the train trying to, like, move car car the car, and this guy gets the drop on him, you know, and he's like, give me the CD. And uh, I think uh, Rybeck grabs him and pulls him down, and basically they fall off the train. Yes. So meanwhile, Bobby, how does he get off the train? Does he just, like, jump off? He jumps off, but they catch him really quickly. So uh, Ryback and this guy basically go, like, rolling down this cliff, and they're in, like, very, like, canyon, like, there's a lot of, like, uh, you know, ravines and stuff around here. And they go off the fucking cliff, and uh, so he's, like, fighting with this guy. They're hanging on for dear life, and he, like, Seagal, like, basically punches this guy off, but he's, like, hanging on at the edge of this fucking cliff. Well, meanwhile, uh, yeah, Bobby's off the train as well. And so Penn's like, you know, like, stop the train, back it up. And he sends the Mercs all out. Well, they see Bobby, the Mercs all spread out, and they start throwing some ropes down to get at Steven, uh, get at Ryback. And so Bobby, who has the gun Ryback gave him, he starts shooting at him. 
And they're like, oh, you know, go grab that guy. So they start shooting back at Bobby and he dives under the train and he runs off. And this this scene legitimately impressed me, Cordell. I got to say, I have a lot of hate for Steven Seagal. It probably was a stunt double. But when this guy like repels down to him. And, you know, he's like, give me the CD. And Ryback like just fucking jumps onto his uh, his rope. That looked really good. Uh, I want to say it did. There was something in here um, where that entire scene was shot. But I can't exactly. Where is it? The shots of Ryback hanging off of a mountain and climbing up a rope were actually shot at Stony Point Park in Los Angeles. The movie crew drew the eye of local rock climbers for painting the rocks to match the scenery of footage shot in Colorado. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. But it was pretty good. I mean, whether or not wherever you're shooting it, that can't be easy when you're suspended like that no and and the scene where like he jumps onto the rope you know what i'm talking about that looked like i was like blown away i, I was like wow um so ryback jumps onto this guy's rope and he he actually like cuts the guy off the rope so he falls down and we get a lot of shots in this movie of like people falling did you notice that cordell yeah everybody is falling to their death <laughs> and so this other guy repels down and we um Seagal's like, You guys just never learn, do you? <laughs> and he like shoots that guy off his rope. Hey Lucas. What's up? I'm free, free, free falling. falling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that that should have been the theme for this movie. Um, so back to Bobby though. So he's getting chased through like these trees and like rocks and shit by this one guy. And the guy gets the drop on him and uh, he's like, you know, drop the gun, turn around or I'll pump your black ass full of lead. And I was like, damn, dude, you don't have to be so mean about it. And uh, but Bobby's smart because he pulls all because the guy's like, get over the CD. And he's like, look, my pocket's ripped. Like, you know, I'm just a kid. Like, leave me alone. He turns around and he comes back with his fucking Glock and just pops the guy in the chest. Yeah, I forget how because I I'm kind of blanking. You know, I just watched this movie like an hour or two ago, and I, but I can't remember how they get the disc back. So uh, so Penn is like walking along the tracks, right? And he just notices because the di- Bobby had the disc, but the disc legitimately did fall out of his uh, hoodie. So Penn looks down and the disc is just like under the one train car. And that's when Penn says the uh, fortune favors the prepared or whatever. Yeah. And so that's when we uh, we get the whole like so Penn gets back on board and he's like, you know, like started up. So Bobby runs down. He gets back on the train. Well, the ropes uh, Seagal is uh, hanging on to. They're attached to the train as well, but as the train takes off, Penn leans out. He starts shooting off the ropes, and uh, so Seagal is getting, like, pulled up, but just before Penn shoots his rope, Seagal manages to, like, grab onto the ledge. 
Okay, so I, I'm trying to... Because I, I was trying to remember how Bobby got back on the train. Because I didn't know if they captured him again. And Nah, he, he just hops on as it starts, like, taking off. Okay, because... I couldn't remember, and I'm like, well, what, they captured him? Why didn't they just shoot him where he stood and just took off on the train? Like, why, like, are they, like, so adamant they have to have every hostage on the train? And it should be said, our listeners, like, what we, me and Cordell are talking about has been, like, nonstop action. So, like, it's tough to, like, like, summarize. <laughs> We're still doing a better job than an earnest scared stupid. That's true. Oh, well, let's not talk about that episode. So, at this point, the cook back in, uh, at the restaurant. Denver, I think. Yeah. He finally gets, finds the, uh, message that Ryback sent. I love his, I love his uh, response. Like, what the hell is this? This isn't the order menu. (laughs) Starts reading it. And then he's the look on his face like, oh, shit. You got to wonder why Ryback sent it to his chef instead of, you know, one of his government people he knows. Right. You mean to tell me he doesn't have Captain Gaza? He doesn't have Captain Gaza's uh, email address? <laughs> his fax number? Um, but so uh, they, no, they, think that, they think that Ryback is gone now. Um. Yeah, Penn's like, Ryback might be dead or he might be alive, but he's not on the train. Yeah, because they got a we, we get this really because uh, he kind of Penn kind of goes up to Sarah and rubs it in her face as I was really looking forward to face to face with your uncle. And uh, she I don't know if she spits at him or does something, but he's about she, to like she like goes, grabs his face. She does some sort of like ninjutsu move. But she goes to uh, he goes to shoot her. And no, he, he pulls a yeah, he does. He pulls like the gun out underneath her chin. And uh, Dane's like, nah, she's insurance. And he's like. Ryback's gone. And he kind of repeats to Penn what he what Penn did to uh, the blonde haired guy. He goes, did you see a body? <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck ups. So uh, so we cut back to Ryback, and he runs over, so the train's gotten away from him, but there's a uh, yellow pickup, and, like, they're kind of in, like, this weird, like, deserted town like, It's thing. like a construction thing or something. I thought it was a construction zone. But he, he hotwires his truck, and so he starts, like, zooming after the, uh, after the train, and we get a lot of, like, cool, like, shots of, like, this truck moving along a mountain as, like, the train's underneath it, you know? I love the line right when Penn says Ryback's dead, Ryback may be alive, but he's not on this train. And we and it get we get the scene Ryback catches up to the train and he jumps back on the train. Yeah, he like he throws he accelerates the truck off a cliff and jumps back onto the train. Um, And that was pretty badass, actually. So. He gets back on the train, and meanwhile, back in Colorado, uh, Admiral Bates gets the message. Uh, the cook call is actually talking to Admiral Bates on the speakerphone, and he goes, "Who sent the message, Casey Ryback? Sir, Casey Ryback? Casey Ryback is on that train." 
He looks over to Gaza. Why is Casey Ryback on that train? It's leave it to Casey, sir. But uh, yeah, we did miss a line earlier. Um, we we missed a line when they were trying to find doing the Dane's phone call to the military group. He yeah. The screen he he puts up like a bunch of ghost satellites. So they can't track the uh, grazer. Yeah, so throughout this movie, we've had, like, they're like, all right, there's, like, 50 ghost satellites. And so the uh, Kurtwood Smith, remember he was in this movie, kids? He's Wait, like, uh... No, it's your favorite character, the pervy uh, analyst over at the computer. He says, he goes, that's why it's called space. And Oh, I, I hated that guy, dude. It's like, <laughs> what'd you say, son? Speak up. Well, because it's space, and you know it's a lot of so much of it. out there. And I love, uh, I love uh, Bates's response. He's like, "Very good, son. Thank you. Please keep quiet." Dude, I fucking hated that guy. I don't know if you did, but I was like, "This dude is the worst." Oh yeah, but I just love that scene just because of how Bates just shuts him down. <laughs> But, yeah, so the whole time they're like, all right, well, narrow it down to all the ones that couldn't be over Washington, D.C. And so they like, you know, the whole time they're like, we've eliminated 20, sir. And this chick in the back is like 23 or whatever. Um, So, like, we keep cutting back to them. Uh, But we go back to Bobby, who's back in the luggage trunk. And uh, this is where Blondie gets the uh, gets the drop on him. He's got a he puts his gun at him and he's like, you know, uh cockroach i i kind of i i was kind of weirded out by the scene because the blonde dude was so passionate so i all right this is gonna go sound really crazy cordell right bear with me but i was like is this movie gonna reveal that the blonde guy you know one of his like his like you know his partner was one of these guys that bobby killed and that's like his motivation because he's so angry he's like you're like a fucking cockroach you know, I honestly thought it was kind of weird because this blonde guy has like a line earlier in the film where when they discover who Casey Ryback is, he's like, he was my instructor at Fort Bragg. He's like the best there is. So I I was really surprised that there was never a like a teacher pupil moment before yeah. Ryback kills him. Yeah, that was kind of like a weird like throwaway. But like he got so he gets Bobby, you know, he drops his gun. He's got the gun on him. He's basically like the Bobby's like, I'm going to let you choose. Do you want to see it coming or turn around? And Bobby's like, uh, uh, you want to help me, man? And we cut, you know, we look up and uh, Ryback's right there and he grabs him and uh, snaps his neck. Yeah. So a throwaway character. There was no way he was going to stand up to Ryback. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like. Uh, I do like the um, reaction when Casey snaps his neck. And uh, Bobby just kind of goes, oh, you're a bad motherfucker. Let's go kill some more fucks. So. And so uh, back up in the uh, control room, though, we see that uh, Dane is switching the tracks on the train. 
And this is when Bobby like looks out of the uh, train car with Ryback and he's like, we're, we're not even on the right tracks. Every time we go in through this town, we're in the middle, not on the outside. And so we find out what they've done is they basically set the train on a collision course with a Nevada train, I think it is. Yeah, that's carrying like petrol oil or something. That's Yeah, that's carrying like 800,000 gallons of gas. And so uh, it should be noted at this point, too, uh, Admiral Bates and company, because there's only like there's a 20 minute countdown before the missile launches. And uh, he's basically like scrambled the stealth bombers like because they know now where the train is. Right. So they're like, we're just going to bomb it. And this was kind of dark, actually, because the one guy's like, well, sir, there's, you know, 200 people on that train. And he's like, son. There's like, you know, eight million people who are going to die. I have to do what I have to do. And he's like, I, yeah, he's like, so there's 200 innocents on that train. I understand that, so, but there are 8 million people in Washington. Unless Ryback can pull off some miracle. I was like, that that line is way too dark for this movie. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but you, you know, that's really how the military works. The needs of the few outweigh the, uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Well, yeah, I was thinking that this whole movie. I was like, if this is in real life, they'd have just shot the missiles, right? They'd have just blown up the train by now. Like, <laughs> But I do like, uh, so they launched the stealth fighters. and But Dane, he's prepared. And they start, well, and they, they pick up the stealth fighters pretty quickly. Yeah, but for a second, Dane is like, what the fuck? We're fucked. He's, he, like, he thinks they're screwed. But I do like it when he finds out that there'll be, that, uh, they know where he's at, and he looks at uh, Penny goes, Casey fucking Ryback. <laughs> um, hold up now. So yeah, so they have the train on the collision course with the wrong track with the another train. Um, so Ryback and Bobby, they basically infiltrate up to the back to the last car where the hostages is. And we get a, uh, another pretty cool action scene um, because so there's this chick using the bathroom <laughs> and Ryback jumps in. And the guard, you know, is like, uh, you know, you've had two minutes in there and uh, she comes out and she's, uh, you know, like showing off her cleavage. What's she say, Cordell? She's like, my bra broke. <laughs> And this is when uh, Ryback comes out and just, like, kills the guy. What does he do to him? Does he knife him? I can't even remember. He comes out because I like the – because he finally gets to use the throwing knife again. Yeah, so they, they, they get where the hostages are, and there's, like, two guys on either side. So Ryback pops out and gets the one guy with the throwing knife, which was badass because he, like, gets it right in the neck and goes down. Kind of like a throwback to the first movie. And then he turns around and uh, shoots the other guy in the head. And we get, like, a cool little gunfight where Ryback and Bobby, like, take out the guards who are guarding the hostages. Did you notice Bobby? He is a fucking idiot. He got, he he comes through that door. There's two bad guys, you know, in front of him. And he's, like, closing his eyes and he's just spray firing. <laughs> I'm like, man, you were so lucky you didn't hit a fucking civilian. <laughs> but this... There's uh, t- one of the mercenaries comes out of the corner, another black guy. He go he gets ready to pop Bobby, and Ryback just ke- like 
cracks him in the head with a bullet. That was pretty fun. This movie isn't overtly gory, but this movie does feel a little bit bloodier than the first movie. Yeah, they do do have like they have like the close up shots of like um you know like when he cuts the guy's wrist or when they shoot people in the head they definitely make sure you see like the gore and the squib go off. Um, I loved, but you you know the best part about this whole scene. You what is one of the terrorists radios Penn and says Ryback, Ryback's back here. He's with he's freeing the hostages. And Penn has the best fucking meltdown ever. He grabs his shit and just throws it across the train and goes, right back. Yes, I forgot about that. <clears throat> um, yeah, like the one guy, like, shoot, like, so the one guy, this this dude who, like, got shot in the knee earlier, right? Like, Ryback, like, kills him and then pushes him down the stairs and this other goon, like, shoots him. You remember that, Cordell? Yes. This one guy gets, like, so much punishment. Um, So they kill all the hostage guards, and they actually, what they do is they separate the last two cars from the rest of the train. So they do end up freeing the hostages. So all, all the hostages are free, and we see, like, but we see the helicopter is coming back to, like, pick up the rest of the terrorists. Oh, my God, we get the best line, though, because... Um... They, they they free the last two cars, and then Bobby jumps back to the main train, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm helping you, man. Oh, now you're a hero? No, you're the hero. <laughs> um, And it's at this point where uh, Dane realizes, wait a second, I can target these stealth bombers that are going to blow us up, because um, back in the command center... Uh, Bates has given the green light for the stealth bombers to blow up the train. But Dane basically uses the satellite to blow up both of the stealth bombers. We even get like a cool shot of the one of them like blowing up right above the train, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, But this is when we also get this is when Penn is like a certified badass Cordell because there's like one goon left, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, Dane's like, oh, what the fuck? Like, I thought your guys were the best, blah, blah, blah. And the one goon's like, I say it's time to cut our losses. And he's like, you know, he's clearly like, you know, like, fuck you, Penn. And so him and Penn have like a little face off or like, is it the goon or Penn who grabs the knife? But Penn fucking just ices this guy like knife right in the throat. Yeah, Penn, Penn's not fucking around anymore. Like, and this is where I'm like Cordell. I'm like, Penn is a fucking badass. I know I'm like sucking Penn's dick this podcast, but <laughs> I, I thought this guy was super cool. I, um, I liked Penn. I thought Penn was, uh, like I said, Penn is probably, he re- like, Penn and Dane really do give. Well, it's, Dane gives Tommy Lee a run for his money, and Penn, you know, there's Penn no, is way better than Gary Busey. Yeah, Penn would kick Gary Busey's ass. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, they separate the car with the hostages, and this is when we get so uh, Ryback's like to Bobby, get up on that helicopter because the helicopter's got like a ladder it's dangling down. 
And I like this line because Bobby gets up on the uh, ladder and he's climbing up to the helicopter and the guy radios to Penn and Dane. He's like, all right, picked up the first person. And Penn's like, the fuck you did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Penn sends uh, Fatima or Fatima, whatever, over and we get this cool shot of her like sprinting across the train. And uh, so Bobby climbs up the ladder and gets in the chopper. And, you know, the helicopter pilot, he's just like doing his do 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 do. But uh, Fatima gets up into the helicopter and her and Bobby get into a, like a fight. And she's kicking the shit out of Bobby. Did you notice that, Cordell? Oh, yeah. Bobby is not having a good day. <laughs> like he, He's getting his ass kicked. But uh, how, how does he get the one up on there? Like somehow he like kicks. Oh, I remember. So he uses he uses the move that uh, Sarah used on him. Yes. Like he grabs her wrists and like pulls it over and like throws her off the chopper. And we get like a long cut of like her falling down. You know what? I love that scene. <laughs> um. And then this is kind of funny because the chopper pilot is like, yeah, we really showed that guy, didn't we? And uh, Bobby pulls up and puts the fucking gun up to his head. He's like, yeah, we did. And you're going to keep fucking flying over this train or I'm going to blow your motherfucking brains out. You got that, honey? <laughs> so uh, this is when Penn has had enough. The, like Penn is pissed off at this point. So he grabs Sarah. He puts a fucking noose around her neck. And uh, he sticks her in between two train cars. And so uh, Ryback's coming along and he sees Sarah standing there with like well, the fucking. Ryback. He calls Ryback over the radio and forces Sarah to make a noise. Be like, I got your niece. You want her? Come and get her. That was the worst mistake Penn could have done. <laughs> I don't know. I think Penn is done dirty. Let's talk about it. So Ryback comes up and Penn pops out. He's got a grenade with the pin out, right? So he hands it to Sarah. He's like to Ryback, you know, let's do this hand to hand. So he like empties the clip out of his gun and he tosses it away. And Ryback does the same thing. So he hands the grenade to Sarah and he's like, you know, keep a keep a tight grip on it, honey, and you won't blow yourself up. And uh, so Penn has like this like straight edge knife and Ryback, of course, pulls out this like more like Bowie looking knife. And so they get into a knife fight. He gets the first cut in on Penn and Penn looks down and he gets gets a huge cut in his jacket. He's like, motherfucker, you ruined my good jacket. (laughs) I know. And Penn's jacket is cool. I want Penn's jacket. It's all like lever and shit. Ooh, but uh come again, Cordell. What are you into? Cordell and lever. Only if you donate to the podcast, folks. <laughs> oh no. No? Alright. Anyway. Penn gets done door d- dirty, Cordell, because Steven Seagal kicks Penn's ass way too easily. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, he kicks his ass, but the fight does go on a bit longer than Stranix's. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, like, they get into a knife fight. Like, I, I guess uh, Ryback gets cut across the, like, cheek or whatever. Well, here's the thing is Stranix never managed to get, you know, 
lie back to a point to where, like, you know, he doesn't disarm the knife out of Ryback's hand. Penn manages to disarm him, but he gets disarmed, and then he just gets his ass kicked. Yeah. And I'm going to say, Steven Seagal, now, bear in mind, I don't know anything about martial arts, so I'm, I'm no expert. But, like, when they get, so they, they fall down the stairs into the kitchen, it looks really fucking lazy on Steven Seagal's part, because he's just, like, waving his hands. Did you notice this, Cordell? Yeah, this is a trademark of Steven Seagal's, though. I don't know a whole lot about Aikido, because if you notice, he really uses his martial arts to, like, open palm bitch slap people and, like, does, like, karate chop moves that causes people to, like, go, like, grabs them, swings them over, shit like that. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't really... That's like I said in the Under Siege podcast. His martial arts is just not as good as, say, Jackie Chan, Chuck Norris's, you know. Yeah, he... Because I those mean, guys actually, like, punch and kick and do roundhouse kicks. This guy's just kind of waving his hand and being like, hey, hey, I'm going to bitch slap you. Yeah, I just... I mean, I, I know he's actually, like, legit, like... You know, he has some credibility, but I don't know, man. It doesn't look good on camera, I guess is my point. Like, Basically, what we're saying is Aikido does not look fun in an action movie. I'll put it to you this way. When, when Jean-Claude Van Damme, right, is, like, doing his shit in, like, Bloodsport or something like that, like, you're like, okay, this guy, like, legitimately could kick some serious ass. When yes. Steven when Steven Seagal is fighting this guy in the kitchen, I'm like, okay, like this guy has the a pen has a giant fucking cleaver. You're telling me he can't land a hit on Steven Seagal? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point because he does get, pick up that cleaver at some point and he just gets disarmed with ease. And then at some point, Steven Seagal just picks him up and puts him in a headlock and breaks his neck. Yeah, poor, poor Pen. The fight, I, I like no, the but, fight is lame, but the one line was fucking hilarious. Nobody what, beat me in the kitchen. I do like throughout the fight that like Pen's face gets like more and more covered in blood. That's fun. But yeah, unfortunately, Pen goes down. Uh, very sad. And so, uh, back up. Uh, Sarah has the grenade, and Dane walks up. You know, he walks up, he's got the remote control for the uh, satellite, and he's basically like, you know, I've got no your, no more use here. Enjoy the rest of your life, you know. What's left of it. What's left of it. And so she's like, you walk away from me, I'm going to throw the grenade. And he's basically like, all right, throw it. And so she's like about to, I think. But then Steven Seagal runs up. And uh, does he throw the grenade or does she? Yeah, he th- he gets a hold of the grenade and throws it, and it kind it kind of blows everything up. But Dane is just kind of like standing by a window with it. Yeah. He's basically he you know he's basically like I'm smart, I've won. You can't stop me. And Steve as a goal just takes his uh, Colt and just blows a big fucking hole into that remote. 
And I love the line where Dane just kind of like looks shocked as hell and he goes, I didn't think about that. Yeah, because he's got it, and he's it's the guy's like, there's no way to stop that. And he's like, no, and he just shoots him. He's like, I didn't think of that. But here, here's what I don't get. Dane falls out the window of a moving train that is on a bridge about to crash into another train. And somehow he survives. Yeah. Yeah, we, we get like one shot. So, okay. So I got to say, I was very impressed though, because so Steven Seagal, um, you know, he and his niece get up on the top of the train. He's like, you know, grab the chopper because Bobby's like, you know, keep the chopper over the train. So she gets on the ladder and then the train crashes into the other train and Ryback falls back in. And this is when I was like, Cordell is like, all right, so Ryback is dead. <laughs> like, there's no way he can survive this. But uh, I got to say, the trains crashing into each other looked really good, first of all. You know, uh, like, you, no, you no. know, rest in peace to the driver of that other train. I know. I thought that, too. I was like, well, fuck all the people on that train, right? <laughs> um, wow. But, yeah, we get, like, this extended, like, multiple angle shot of these trains, like, crashing into each other. And it looks really good. Yeah, it doesn't look too bad. So somehow, miraculously, right, Steven Seagal is managing to, like, outrun the fireball as it keeps going. And uh, so, like, some of these train cars, like, are falling under this bridge, but, like, some are above it. So he, like, clears the gap just before it closes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he jumps through. He jumps through and manages to get the ladder. Um. Yeah, so he jumps up on the ladder. Well, out of fucking nowhere, uh, Dane hops onto his leg. And this is where I'm with you, Cordell. I'm like, how the fuck did he survive? Yeah, like, you fell out of a window of a moving train seconds before impact. You shouldn't even be, you should be, like, way the fuck over there. (laughs) Yeah, it really makes no sense, to be honest. Um... But I'm telling you what, this motherfucker gets what what he what he gets. Deserve, he deserves what he gets. So Ryback climbs up to the chopper, and Dane um, is right underneath him, and he gets his hands up on the chopper, and uh, you know he's based. I don't know what the fuck he says. He says he, something about Ryback. Yeah, he's more or less like begging, pleading for his life, saying like you know, pull me up, help me, save me, something like that, like. I'll do anything you want. And right back, you know, he's not the kind of guy that believes in taking prisoners. Nah, he slams the fucking door. And it's so quick, Cordell, but we do get the shot of his fingers fucking it's cut so, off. Oh, that made me cringe, dude. I have a thing about I, I have a thing about eyes, ears, like anything going into eyes, ears, noses or like fingers getting dismembered. And uh, we actually see him, like, he's falling back into the fireball as all that oh gasoline goes that, that was a really bad superimposed shot of him falling back into, the, like, the fire. It looked kind of cool, though. It was cool, but you could tell the effects didn't hold up that good. No, nah, no, they didn't. But 
But, uh, yeah, so he's dead, and they fly off, and uh, we even get, like, the funny Bobby's like, can we go home now, Uncle Casey? Oh, my gosh. So he gets on the horn of the uh, chopper, and he videos back to Colorado that the hostages are safe and everything. And you know what I thought was funny this time? What? In the last movie, when Casey saved the day, Tom Breaker just kind of snuck out of the uh, room with, like, a pissed-off look on his face. Because yeah. they, Because they were going to... They thought it was all going to go to shit, and they were just going to blame it on Ryback. This time, Ryback saves the day, and Bates is in there, and he's got a smile on his face, and he's clapping and cheering with everybody else. I'm like, oh, well, that makes you at least a little less slimy. <laughs> didn't stop him earlier from uh we didn't mention this he calls his wife he's like yeah get out of dc and uh don't tell anybody yeah that was oof (laughs) and after that scene we get sarah and ryback at his brother's uh grave and i think it's what arlington I, I guess so, yeah. That's at, like, some military cemetery where, uh, you know, she hugs him and they're, like, paying respects to his brother, basically. And with that, the camera pans out and end credits. And On look- Under Siege 2. Dark Territory. Hoorah. Well, that's the wrong branch. I don't know. I don't know what the war cry for the Navy is. Oh, boy. So, Luke, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, Big O, High, Medium, Low, are you cutting your dick off? I'm going to blow your mind, Cordell. I think, maybe, but I think this is pretty much as good as the first one. I really do. Um... I mean, okay, like, we don't have, like, a real star, right, for, like, the bad guys. But like we've said throughout this podcast, Penn is way cooler than Gary Busey. (laughs) Now, Gary Busey is, like, more funny. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of shots in this impressed me. Like, this movie definitely had a budget. Um, there's a lot of fun to be had here. Like the action is good. Honestly, it is when Seagal is shooting it out with people, uh, everything except the ending fight, which I think is kind of lame. Like I do like the Tommy Lee Jones fight a little bit more, I think. Um, But yeah, it, it's definitely like just a solid sequel again, like a diehard knockoff. But yeah, I'd say if you like Under Siege 1 and you're like, all right, I'm down for more, check out Under Siege 2. I was I was kind of sufficiently impressed by this movie. So I will go with a medium because I think I gave a medium for the first one. So and more of the same. I got just a couple more pieces of trivia here before I give my review, uh, recommends. If you're interested. Hit me. The countdown timer blip sound effect on the computer used by Dane is a blip sound from a Motorola brand pager. Interesting. Um, let's see. 
Travis Dane's character as an internationally profiteering turncoat and psycho warmonger was at least partially realized in real life in the form of a man named Gerald Bull, an infamous supergun inventor of the Cold War era. That's interesting. That is interesting. The film has remarkable similarities to the James Bond film Goldeneye. Okay, I really don't know much about that trivia because I've never seen Goldeneye. I have not seen that either, so I cannot speak to that. Um, the sidearm Casey Ryback carries throughout the film is an original Colt M1911. Now uh, that's a I'm a, a little familiar with that gun. Ooh. Um. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to get back into the world of uh, risque Steven Seagal trivia. Hit me. Let's hear it. During an event for the film, Steven Seagal was photographed grabbing Catherine Hegel's right breast and laughing. She was 16 at the time. Oh. I have Steven. actually seen that. I have actually seen that photo. It is very uncomfortable to look at. Even though Catherine went on to say that she never got any like sexual harassment from Steven Seagal, that photo survived the test of time and it does not is not good well i mean i don't think we're being too controversial by saying steven seagal is a very controversial person with a lot of alleged allegations against him so i mean you know the photograph speaks for itself i think you'll like this piece of trivia Couple scenes had to be cut down for an R rating during the fight with a one-eyed terrorist after Ryback cuts the terrorist wrist. The fight concluded with Ryback stabbing the terrorist in the neck, causing blood to spurt out, which is why you see blood on the terrorist's chin and sweater when he falls out of the cupboard. The climactic fight between Ryback and Penn was much more graphic and brutal. At one point, Ryback forces Penn's face into a hot cooker before they fall down the stairs which is why Penn had a large red mark on his left cheek. So there was some extra, like, fight scenes that were cut. Ah, that sucks. Um, This is the final film of Phyllis Davis. Who was Phyllis Davis? Um, I'm trying to see, because I... Really do not know. He's not even listed in the credits here on Wikipedia, so I don't even know who he plays. Mm. Okay, this is a weird trivia. 35mm prints are made up of five wheels. What does that have to do with this? Nothing at all that I can tell. (laughs) Oh, here you go. Steven Seagal and writer Matt Reeves had a contentious relationship throughout the filming, with with Reeves venting his frustration on Seagal's constant interventions and ridiculous suggestions for plot twists. For example, in one instance, due to him being impressed with the actor Everett McGill's performance in the movie Silver Bullet, 
Seagal was adamant in having a scene where Everett would transform into a werewolf as some kind of top-secret CIA experiment gone wrong, and Seagal would have to fight the beast over the exploding train. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) That would have taken this movie into... Crazy land. A genre that I do not think it has any place but going into. This movie would have turned out very different. <laughs> the producers originally hired John or Don Jacoby to pen the script. Does that name mean anything to you? No, it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh oh. Um, he was a writer, apparently, and a producer. He was a co-producer on Arachnophobia, and he was a writer in, oh, he was also a writer on Arachnophobia, Death Death Wish 3, Life Force, Double Team, Evolution. Oh, wow. Okay, so I've seen a little bit of this guy's stuff. Still, that wouldn't have made. And I really think that is all the trivia. I mean, there's a lot more on here, but that is really most of the trivia worth mentioning. We're in suspense, Cordell. What's your rating, sir? I'm going to give this movie a medium. Just like yours. Now, I know I gave the original movie a high, I believe. Did okay. I give it a high? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Two weeks pass, and I can't even remember what I recommended the movie. Yeah, it probably was a high. You know. This movie is just as good as the first Under Siege. I, I, maybe for me it just made more sense in the first movie because Vibach is a you know a military officer and it just made sense to make it on a battleship. So when you kind of put it on like a civilian passenger train in the middle of nowhere, I I don't know that just kind of takes some of the excitement away from me for, for me. Yeah. But, but ultimately, this movie is really good. I mean, Penn is a terrific bad guy. And Dane, kudos to that actor for, you know, really giving Tommy Lee Jones a run for his money in the crazy department. Um, I like Catherine Heigl in this. I really, really, really like that bartender. <laughs> Who's in the movie, we should say, for probably like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, she she's all in the movie for like, if you, if you, I mean, if you add all the scenes combined, she's probably in she's probably in the movie for less than three minutes when you really combine all her scenes. But. Hey. I think she was a playboy, I think that, you know, kind of like uh, the last actress in the last film. She worked with Playboy and everything. I think that's why. I think. Oh she, really? Yeah, because I because I knew the last actress. I didn't know about this actress. Um, 
But yeah, this is a. I really think that this movie holds up for the most part. It's a good continuation of Ryback's story. And. But I just. It doesn't really have as much enabling for me that, you know, the first one does. So for that, I'm really going to give this movie a medium. But like you said, if you like the first Under Siege and you're like, yeah, I want some more of that, definitely check this out. I really think that this is one of Steven Seagal's better films. You know, some of his I like a lot of his 80s stuff. And then he had Under Siege and Under Siege 2. And then after that, it was really just a huge drop off for the man. Oh, really? Um, oh, there was a piece of trivia here I missed. In 2014, Steven Seagal announced in an interview that he was working on a third Under Siege film. But that was back in 2014, and I haven't seen anything else for it. Yeah, I know they said they got a director for it, but it looks like he hasn't actually, like, started filming it. Yeah, they got a director, but I don't even know if they got finance. And I'm going to be quite honest. And, you know, looking at that guy today and his, like, body, like, his physicality, I don't think that he can pull off another Under Siege. No, if you're going to reboot it, you just need, like, a new a new person as Ryback. You know... I don't know who would be a suitable replacement for Steven Seagal as Casey Ryback in a reboot, but if we would ever see another Under Siege film, I would rather it be a reboot than a continuation, because I don't, I just don't feel like this guy could do it. No, I mean, and the Under Siege movies, let's just call it out, they've just been a bunch of diehard knockoffs, so, (laughs) you know, just, uh... But they have been the diehard knockoffs that stood out. Yeah, like, I mean, but, you know, I, I'm not like I, I, I don't think Steven Seagal is so unique that like y- you could get a lot of people who could do what he does. Oh, yeah, for sure. Then there's probably somebody who could do a keto on film better than he does. Oh, 100 percent. But, yeah, I am going to give this movie a medium. It is definitely one of my favorite underrated action movies. But still below the first one. Very nice. Very nice, sir. So, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back. Um, hopefully within the next week or so. And we hope to, by then, have a Christmas movie for you to review. Yeah, we're going to try and get something in for Christmas. But if we don't, don't get mad at us. If you're mad <laughs> at us, we won't know. Because does anyone even post in our Facebook group? No, give it time. <laughs> give, give it time. time. You can listen to you can listen to the whole back catalog, just not the earnest episode, kids. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I, I'm not gonna get rid of it, but oof, that was rough. That was a rough yeah. one. Well, our Halloween ends discussion, I think, is pretty good though. We never even did a Halloween ends episode yet, though. Well, no, but we talked about it for like an hour on that podcast. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We might as well just give that movie a whole fucking podcast if we're going to devote that much time to it. 
Gotta oh. wait till next uh, next fall, listeners. I'm sorry. Oh, fuck that. I'll get that done and out just to get it out of my way. <laughs> but yeah, we'll uh, we'll let you guys know what we're doing next. So until next time, thank you for listening. And we will see you all again real soon. Have a good night, folks. Good night, guys. I'm t-